Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's the 9th of November of 2022, and I'm looking forward to this mega-packed episode of Weekly Manga Recap, Quinn. So much, so much to talk about, you know? A lot of good manga, a recommendation, all sorts of who knows what characters are going to show up. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, one of them's shown up already, because you've, you've still got Nipputaku hanging oh, yeah. out your microphone. He's right there. He's with us right there. always. Always. Even when you can't see him, well, he's there. Well, I will say, because it's the same setup I use for work, I do have to take him out when I do work <laughs> meetings. Not because I'm worried about, like, someone, um, being like, what is that? Because I'd be like, let me tell you about Mondo-chan <laughs> my son. <laughs> let me tell you about my boy. No, uh, because I usually use like zoom filters to like blur out the background and it doesn't uh, get him. So it like it's just, just both of our it out. <laughs> it's just both of our faces going in and out. So I take him down for that. That's understandable. I'm sure the Nipuzuki would just get bored during those anyway. Oh yeah, he'd hate it. But he loves he loves talking about Mongi. He's like, I love it. It's great. Yeah. Especially when we talk about food. Do yeah. It occasionally. Yeah. Talk it's about my manga. It's a, it's a shame that Magu-chan came out well after Food Wars, because otherwise... I don't want to think about the characters from Magu-chan having to eat food from Food Wars and having those reactions, so I'm simply going to oh, say I want Naputaku to eat that super good-looking... Uh, like bacon wrapped potato or whatever and that's about it okay fair enough <sighs> guys chilling out with the crew in the schoolyard finding trouble never looking too hard back at class they never taught us this sometimes you've got to learn hit or miss <sighs> classic Yu-Gi-Oh GX the manga these are poets of our time I have been so excited to talk about this manga since, uh, not you, but, you no, know, uh, Yami Yugi decided we were going to be reading it. Uh-huh. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, I've talked about it at various different points, like how, like, kind of, it sort of happened at, like, a critical point in my anime fandom life. Uh, it was a thing that actually got me to, like, go and pursue stuff that wasn't just like on American TV, but like to venture out into the internet and find out that there was stuff that was already out there in Japan. Uh, it's the first series that uh, the first anime that I actually watched in Japanese and I watched it without subtitles and just kind of had to use context clues to make my way through what the hell was going on, which was usually pretty easy because (laughs) (laughs) I knew the rules of the game. Um, and as we so all know, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! TV shows always, to the letter, follow the established rules of Yu-Gi-Oh! the card game. I mean, by this point in the anime production, it's a hell of a lot closer than what we tended to get oh, in, like, like, Duelist Kingdom. Duelist uh, Kingdom was the Wild West. There were no... It was or it was, it was a step away from uh, Who Signed Is It Anyway, where it's just, like, the rules don't matter. <laughs> just make them up as you go. But, uh, like, even from, like, a vague angle... Now, I also know, like, I come from a background where, like, Magic the Gathering is a game I play, and, like, the rules in Magic the Gathering are, like, so fine and precise 
that like yes i oftentimes have to remember that other games don't have that firmly established thing because there was a plenty of times where i'm like the battle phase has ended and he summoned new monsters that are also <laughs> attacking this doesn't <laughs> seem probable oh well, you know maybe he used a quick effect Maybe, maybe that's how maybe. it works. In my mind, I'm like, no, attacks go through, you move to blockers, damage is calculated, independent of the stack nowadays. Ah, <laughs> uh, the stack. <laughs> uh, for those of you not aware, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! is um, the biggest trading card franchise in the world still, uh, and Yu-Gi-Oh! GX is the third technically anime series that is based off of the original manga uh although in this case it's based on entirely entirely new material because there was no gx manga prior to the anime the manga followed uh it was being written relatively concurrently with the anime but because the chapters were released monthly uh it ended up going until like five D's. The next series was almost over uh, and then it stopped. This is a series that ran from like 2005 to 2011, like twice as long as the anime did. Yet there's way less content because it was only a monthly manga series compared to a weekly anime series that ran every single week for three and a half years. And it is very odd to see that because certain characters come into the narrative eventually that are there because they were in the anime and they're just kind of there to be there. Uh, and they don't really cohesively cleanly fit into the, the story that had been established up to that point when they first start showing up. But the manga version of Yu-Gi-Oh! GX follows uh, most of the original main cast of the GX anime, uh, you've got Judai, Manjome, Sho. I'm using okay. I'm going to be using Japanese names for this because these are the names that I started off like experiencing the series with. If you want to use English names, Quinn, that's I was totally say, fine with me. I only know these characters as their English names, uh, so I sat here being like, "What are we going to talk about, Chumley?" Which is fine. <laughs> Uh, because if you're using English names and I'm using Japanese names, we'll be about as consistent as this manga is with names. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, I, not to, not to, not to get dive too deeply into that to start with, but, uh, so the main character is named Judai or Jaden in English. Uh, he's got a rival character named Manjome, who is Chaz Princeton, which is a name I still hate. Uh, what do you mean? You don't, of, you don't love them giving him like the most waspy name they could have possibly Chaz, thought of? I Chaz Chaz. It's amusing to me, and I don't want to delve too far into like actual character stuff, but like from my understanding, the character of Chaz is like very different in the anime to the manga. Where like extremely the, an so. the anime, he's a bit more of like kind of a butt monkey, I guess, or kind of like comic relief. Whereas in this series, he's meant to be taken very seriously. So like dramatic scenes have to show up where it's like, Chaz, what do you think? And I'm like, I cannot take this moment seriously. A character named Chaz just ruins any moment. Manjome in the original anime starts off as being, you know, this 
really high ranking student who Judai knocks down a bunch of pegs uh, because he keeps on beating him despite the fact that he's like, I'm the elite you obelisk blue student. You're just you're just a slifer slacker as they ended up doing it in the in the dub. And so that was basically why he was named the way that he was like, he's like oh he's Chaz Princeton he's you know just some loser guy who just who's just rich and thinks he's great not really you know taking into account the fact that maybe later on he would have like different sides of his character introduced uh and so yeah he's just constantly Chaz Princeton and it's uh not great yeah uh then there is uh Judai's little buddy show who is a uh, Cyrus in in the dub uh he is the same age as as Judai but still calls him uh basically a big brother figure because he looks up to him he's his hero uh then there is Asuka uh, or Alexis she is the girl uh <laughs> <laughs> I wish there were more to say but female leads in Yu-Gi-Oh are perpetually sadly neglected um, she actually comes off better in this manga than she does for the most part in the anime because she gets sidelined really hard in that. Okay. Uh, and then there is a kind of brainy sort of rival, basically the Ida to Judai's Deku, uh, named Misawa, uh, Bastion Misawa in the dub. And that's like the main group of like good guys that are carried over from the anime into the manga. As Quinn was alluding to, Chumley or Hayato <laughs> uh, did not make the cut uh, because he is um, just kind of a, a lazy, sad sack loser. Uh, <laughs> that's just <laughs> kind of it. He was written out of, of the of the series after the first season and basically never came back, uh, except for like one cameo. So I don't really fault the uh, author of this series for leaving him out of it. Yeah. Uh, there's apparently a, a good handful of like other characters that exist in this series or exist in the anime that don't show up in the manga, uh, for mm -hmm. multitude of reasons, the manga, uh, while running for about the same amount of time, just has so much less, uh, material to cover. Like if you were to animate what the manga covers, it would probably cover like a season and a half, yeah. maybe two seasons. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that actually really works to the detriment of the series all that much. Um, by and large, I've, I've found the characterization it does, especially like early on to be excellent, like really, really excellent. Um, and I wish it carried through all the way. Cause it, it, it does give you a reason to care about all of these kids, essentially. Um, like I know of GX from a very vague viewpoint, essentially of like, Hey, um, I watched like two or three episodes. This was far after I'd kind of gotten out of Yu-Gi-Oh! So I knew like the general premise, but I was like, I don't know, shows like little nerd kid and then like Alexis's girl and then Chaz was, I didn't even know he becomes a loser. I was just like, he's like the Seto Kaiba rival character. And this series takes its time to like one by one go to those characters and give them like a reason for like, hey, these characters actively really care about dueling and it's not always perfect but some of them have like really well done like character moments like show has a fight uh or cyrus that like ends with him being like i'm proving my worth as a duelist 
And the way I'm proving it is I'm going to cover myself in a shield of armor, like a suit of armor, that if it's destroyed, I straight up lose the game. But that is the fucking, uh, the price I'm willing to pay to show my worth in this moment. I was like, this is supremely cool for a character I gave zero shits about based off what I saw in the anime. Which, again, admittedly, not a lot. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like, if you try and experience the GX anime, it's like, well, what what parts do you skip? Because there are long stretches of it where really the only thing that's happening is that some one-off guy shows up and Judai beats them in a duel, and that's about all that is accomplished. Uh, there are long, long stretches where that's, like, the only stuff that's happening. And occasionally, like, okay, there are some fun things that happen here or there. There are some, you know, completely pointless battles that Judai gets involved in that generate some really fun things uh, that, you know, either just like small little moments in a bottle that are just kind of cool. Like the one time where he dueled a guy who was possessed by the spirit of the Grim Reaper, which gave him amazing one turn kill draw abilities. It was great. Uh, (laughs) And that happens like one episode and never becomes relevant ever again. Uh, But there's another time where, you know, there's this girl who sneaks into the school because she's got a crush on on Ryo or Zane, uh, the Kaiser of the Duel Academy. And so she pretends to be a male student while sneaking into the school and Judai duels her. And uh, and basically, like, you know, after that, you know, her secret comes out and she's got to leave. And instead of having a crush on the Kaiser, she's got a crush on Judai now. And she was such a popular character that she came back as a recurring character like two seasons later. Um so there are fun moments in Yu Gi Oh GX that are especially really, really fun to reminisce on if you, you know, have already been through 150 episodes of it like I did when the show was first coming out. But like if you were to try and get into the series and like really get really get into it, you'd be like, well, nothing's really happening beyond like introducing some characters for like the first 30 episodes of this. When's the plot going to start? And in contrast, the manga introduces its characters in a much more succinct way. And then after it gets a much smaller, very core cast introduced, then it's like, all right, now it's time for story. Here's Judai's backstory in order to set up how he relates to the actual ongoing plot that's going to go on, which is something that took the anime literally like three seasons to ever do with Judai. <laughs> he very rarely actually had personal stakes associated with something until much later in the series. And then the villains start showing up, they start causing trouble, and then you're just kind of off from there. And it's like, okay, from from about 15 or so chapters in, it's just like, no, everything from here on is basically plot-relevant stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would say the start of this manga is really really excellent it introduces our characters in like an engaging way and i enjoyed following them etc um we find out who they are well bastion sucks bastion's like gimmick is like i am still sucks (laughs) i have a crush on alexis and that's about it so he kind of blows but like we get the good it's better than it's better than his uh characterization of well he used to be the the smart guy but then he got turned into the guy who has a crush on an amazonist and that's was it so Mm. that's interesting Poor guy. Yeah. Um, I will. I would say there, there's there's. Uh, sorry, just to back back up. I really enjoyed the characters, and I enjoyed to start how we introduced ourselves to them. And as you said, then we get like backstory to, um, Judai, Jaden, 
and that was really good and then there's like uh, a tournament with amongst the kids and like they put plot in there there's like two american students who are like evil and that's excellent it then leads to like some really cool duels amongst them and then it leads to a, a, a level of grandiose that really i don't think we can recapture completely from Yu-Gi-Oh because Yu-Gi-Oh just exists in a place where you're like, why is any, like all of this is so crazy, but now that's just kind of the norm, but it is worth noting that like they have like this big inner school tournament to decide who gets a chance to face one other student. Who's just coming back. Basically. Look, Kaiser's Kaiser's <laughs> time is, is valuable. Okay. <laughs> and they, they have this tournament and then they're like, all right, well, you get the winner gets a chance to duel this person. And of course, the only appropriate place to have this duel is on top of an active volcano. <laughs> and you're like, sure. Like, it's 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 kind of to that point where I did enjoy it, where I'm like, this is so stupid. Like, why is the duel on top of like a volcano? It's so overdramatic for a fight that has like zero real stakes in it because it's like two characters who have just met for the first time. But it is kind of cool. And then there's like some follow up after that where we start delving a little bit more into Jaden and his sort of focus and how he wants to develop his deck. And, you know, we, we run into Mackenzie, who is this character who is like sort of a, a victim puppet to a Facebook, larger antagonist. Yeah. But they have she has like two really cool duels in the series that are like really satisfying oh, yeah. to watch. And then that ends. And, like, we get introduced to, like, four more American students. And the manga, I think, does kind of fall off at that point because it, one, needs to introduce these, I guess, technically five uh, new American students. It doesn't really have enough time to develop all of them, but still tries to. Uh, It needs to give them all duels. We go through, like, two, like, tag matches that are not interesting. Like, those were, like, the only two things where I was, like, I, like, I skipped through a lot of dueling, to be honest. I was, like, I'm going to trust your cards, do what it does. I just tried to read, like, the narrative within it when it's, sure. like, all sorts of nonsense. Although I do have a card effect that I want to bring up later. Uh, okay. You know, but those duels just didn't do a lot. It's like, hey, Bastion and Alexis got like learned to work together? Question mark. I I guess I had to be grateful because it's like the only time fucking Alexis wins in the goddamn manga. <laughs> she really does like lose oh, pretty man. much every match she's in. When they when they split up into different sections and an American duelist finds them, when you saw she got matched up against fucking Ast, you're like, oh, you poor girl. <laughs> like, there's, there's not even a chance this is going to have to look like a really close match. Yeah, it, it gets kind of frustrating towards the end. I am 100% in agreement with you because uh, while the manga does not fall into the same trap that the, uh, that the anime does, where only Judai is allowed to do important stuff, it does fall into the trap of only Judai and Manjome are allowed to do stuff. It's like one step above in that regard. Uh, and look, I really, really do like what the manga did differently with Manjome because he is like my favorite character from GX. And it was so nice to see him not just <laughs> not be the guy, the guy who loses so that you, it proves how big a threat this thing is so that then Judai has to beat it basically. Uh, like, you know, he's got, he's, anime Manjome is very fun, uh, because he's 
very funny and also very cool and also a very big loser. It, he is an amazing paradox that makes him incredibly entertaining. Mangaman Jome is a guy who loses his first duel in the series to Judai because Judai has a spirit partner, Winged Karibo, uh, who he, you know, has a bond with and fights with. And Manjome also has a dual spirit, but he has sealed it away because he wants to be strong on his own. And when he loses, it makes him realize, I want to be strong with you, yeah. my partner. Will you, my awesome fucking dragon, be with me and partner with me and will destroy everything? And then they fucking do. He just teams up with this badass dragon and fucking wins like everything that he does. I have to say, he, he basically does he he loses to eventually Zane. He loses um, to the Kaiser, yes. But outside of that, I think he wins every other duel he's involved with, which Jane uh, doesn't even have that record. Judai loses probably more in this manga than he does in like the entire 180 episode long anime to give you an idea of how much Judai dueled and how little he lost. Uh, and it is so actually really nice to see him have to fall down and pick himself up. Judai is also probably a pretty different in some respects from how he is in the anime because his character arc is much more condensed in that regard. Uh, but yeah, you know, he gets cool moments. Manjome gets some cool moments, especially in that duel where he loses against the, the Kaiser. Like before he loses, he summons all three of his awesome dragons in one turn and this big badass two page spread. And then the Kaiser's just like, okay, I've got, you know, this ridiculous, you know, sequence of cards that I can play in a row. And then I win because I'm the best duelist in the series. Also, I'm never going to duel again this series because way too many characters get introduced later on after that <laughs> point. Um, but unfortunately, uh, while early on, uh, you know, the rest of the core cast do get their moments to shine, even if a lot of times they're losing. Like Asuka, like you said, loses, I think, yeah, every other duel that she's in besides that tag duel, I think. Uh, but... You know, she at least has a lot more plot relevant moments and she is a presence with the series that is consistent uh, along with uh, Sho and Misawa. And yeah, then once it gets to the point where, OK, we're kind of at this nice break point where the initial antagonist has been defeated. Now we have to see who the real villain is. And so they introduce their next set of you know, evil generals, basically, who are students from the American Academy that were in the third season of the anime. And a lot of their backstory is very different and their function is also very different because they each kind of had their own agendas going on in the anime. And now it's just like, well, they're just all kind of students at this one Academy and they have their own different character quirks. Uh, and they're mostly just there so that the rest of the big important card set that is plot relevant to this series, the legendary planets, uh, can get used. And then that's just kind of it. A plot point, by the way, that doesn't make a ton of sense. Because it's like established like, oh, hey, uh, our big bad guy whose name I've forgotten, Tregelion or something like that. Or Trigodia. Tregodia, I think. Something yeah. like that. 
Uh, they were sealed away a very, very long time ago, the time of like uh, Pharaoh Atem and everything like that. He didn't know that this guy got sealed away, but it was sealed away by a couple Egyptian priests. And the winged spirit was a presence there. And also like the white feather of Mott, I think is the, the other term yes. used. So there's like these two. That's why, and that's so the, those are the two spirits essentially that exist in the the real world. And he's like, I have to get those those things to to fully free myself. And then also this explicit set of cards that were developed one of by a dead duelist that I took control of at some point. <laughs> and one of them was like a giveaway in a tournament that then got passed along to another person because I sent that guy to the shadow realm. And it's one of these things where you're like, I, this sounds like a very complicated thing. Like it was, it's basically like, what if we did the Egyptian God cards, but like eight of them and they're all very significant. The overarching plot of the series is very original Yu-Gi-Oh! And it's honestly kind of one of my complaints about this manga is that it feels too much like original Yu-Gi-Oh! and not enough like Yu-Gi-Oh! GX. It, it feels like we're kind of taking a step backwards in order to do this plot. I didn't find Dragoidia interesting. Uh, I found him mild. All. I found him mildly amusing when he gets free because he he eventually just beats everybody off screen to like finish his plot, and he's like, "I am now free. I am a super god." And like Jaden and Chaz show up and they're like, "We're gonna fight you." And he's like, I am a super god. They're also just like, they ask him, like, why are you doing all of this? He's like, because I was bored. <laughs> I felt like it. it. It is all for my amusement. I thought it would be funny. And he, like, takes their cards and he, like, their best cards and tosses them back to him. He's like, I don't need these anymore. Let's do Because <laughs> he's like, I'm a super god. Even, like, I could just destroy you with the thought of my mind. But let's duel first. <laughs> And you're like, fuck, man, I want that exact energy in my life where after I finished my plan, I'm like, yeah, fucking take your best cards back. I don't need them anymore. Oh, God. And yeah, there's just like all these cards that have to be introduced as part of this legendary planet set. And at first, it's like they're being introduced like very occasionally. So, you know, Judai has Earth or I mean, it got called Terra Firma for whatever reason and when the card got brought over to uh the tcg so it's terra firma and not earth even though it's power relevant never mind uh and then there's also uh, when the first two american students uh david and Mackenzie, show up david has the big saturn which is one of the best names in the entire card it, it's game. the big saturn it's great because all of them have a name like the splendid venus you know the mm. the the glorious sun you know all this sort of shit and it's just like big saturn it is really strong uh the super smash brothers melee announcer who's like yeah. ice climbers luigi ganondorf <laughs> just like all right oh, man, i thought you big I, saturn. I thought you were going for a, I, th I thought you were going for like giant donkey Kong. <laughs> it does have that as well it's just big <laughs> big saturn i don't know which by the way I don't know if you can guess. Just take a wild guess here. Which of the planets is actually the most broken card in the actual card game? 
I'm so vaguely remembering what their powers did. Um, a lot of them are just like a lot of them it, it seem gets very stronger. specific, yeah, to like the deck that they're in because a lot of them are are themed very specifically. Like it, it was very amusing that the guy with the crocodile deck, like thank God there was a card that one of the planets was a crocodile monster because this would be stupid <laughs> otherwise. Um, I mean they make the sun look really strong but i'm gonna assume it's not that one i i feel like venus actually did quite a lot the fairy one if you're uh, in a fairy deck obviously but so you are not you're wrong but you, you oh. probably picked what i think would be considered the second best one just be and venus on its own isn't great but it came out with a lot of really good fairy support because Mackenzie's deck was very fr- prominently featured so like a lot of her best cards got released and in, in tandem with them it was pretty good uh, but it's actually Neptune, the one that you just named that Cook uses, because as it turns out, it has an ability that basically if it combos with one more recently released card that lets you do 5000 direct damage to your opponent really easily. That feels like a flaw. That, so wait, yeah, now, so they banned it. <laughs> I have a question. Are all these cards real? Like, did they print? Like, are there crocodile archetypes and shit like that? Like, most of no. these archetypes, as I saw them, I was like, I, I understand this. Like, Cyber Dragons, I know, is straight from the anime. And I was like, yes. all right, some of this stuff, like, is different, but I could see it. Like, oh, okay, a yokai theme, got it. And then, like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Atticus just has, like, air shit. <laughs> I was like, yeah. sure, whatever. Close enough. It got the crocodile guy threw me off for a little bit. I was like, there cannot. Also, this is the American duelist guy. This guy is clearly a cowboy. I know that there are alligators in Texas, but these are not the two things I would in- immediately link together. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, is he a crocodile Dundee parody? So a couple of things. Uh, one, you're you're correct that a lot of the stuff that is in the manga is not in the anime. They changed a bunch of characters' decks. Uh, Judai's still uses elemental heroes um uh show did use vehicroids although he uses very different cards uh and kaiser still uses cyber dragon cards and that's basically it almost everyone else went through like dramatic changes to their deck types uh including jim because and the reason he uses a crocodile deck is because uh in the anime he uses a fossil deck instead but for some reason, he just carries around his pet alligator on his back all the time. <laughs> or his pet crocodile. I I, I, this, this, wants, this brings me back to the point. There's a card I have a big issue with in this series. And it goes back to when we see uh, the tag team duels. We have the crocodile guy there. And when you're in the tag team duels, you lay a card face down. Your partner can look to see what the card is you played face down. Yeah, Crocodile yeah. guy plays a face down card. He is teamed up with a guy who is using machine monsters. And the machine monster guy looks at the trap card. He's like, ah, crocodile scales, a card that raises the attack of all machine monsters. And you're like, why is this in the crocodile guy's <laughs> deck? Why? Like, it is, it is so uber specific they did not have time to pre-construct their decks after they knew who their partners were they just fucking showed up and they're like all right game on and my dude was just like and the card name's got crocodile and it's gotta go the crocodile deck you know i've always found the dueling in any Yu-Gi-Oh manga to be a bizarre mix of 
almost all of these guards are absolutely worthless. They are way too specific in terms of the circumstances that they would be useful in. And they're just kind of just being written as, you know, the duel is being figured out. It's like, and and we'll put in a card here that'll raise the attack of this type of monster. 300 points. Ooh, you. Uh, And then it'll be like, oh, okay. These cards are broken as shit because they compl- they're like, you know, indestructible 5000 attack monsters that make you that also let you punch your opponent in the face every turn. They're yeah. ridiculous. Uh, but that leads me into uh, talking about one of the unfortunate problems I had while reading the series is I read the Viz version of this and there seemed to be a real inconsistency with the quality of the translation at certain points. It really felt to me as if at certain points it was being either written or translated by a person who wasn't really familiar with the terms of the game. And so there would be these very bizarre phrases that would get used, like continuous cards would be called like eternal traps and stuff like that. Uh, And that was a little bit weird. But what was very strange was uh, I made the point at the beginning when we were talking about this. Uh, there's the Japanese names and the English names, uh, because when the, the series was dubbed by four kids, a lot of characters names were changed. So there are certain characters in the series that are manga only uh, like uh, there's the Amer- the first two American students, uh, David and Mackenzie. And then there is uh, Koyo who is like Judah Jai's mentor slash, you know, hero figure and his sister uh, Midori. And all of them keep their original names because there's no, no dub that, you know, you have to conform to the style of. So it's a little bit weird to go back and forth and be like, Oh, okay, here is, you know, Chaz Princeton. And here is Koyo Hibiki. You know, this very Japanese sounding name in the same series. But then there would be points especially later on when like the the uh, five american students got all get introduced where they'll be like introduced by their dub names and then they'll go back to like their original japanese names at certain points and then it'll go back and it just goes back and forth for them i saw johan get called johan then jesse then johan uh it was very strange. I thought and I just I got the character's name wrong. I didn't even pick up on it. I was like, oh, yeah, his name's Johan. And I was like, no, it was Jesse. Because it was very amusing when all the American characters show up and it's like Aster Phoenix and then like a list of just great. Like, I think there's one dude who's like, <laughs> bo- like, it's a second away from like Boomerang's on or something. You're just like, all right, man. You say like, all these guys will make great quarterbacks with these names. <laughs> Uh, Jim Crocodile Cook is the only guy whose name wasn't changed okay. for be, because that was just his original name. Uh, Johan became Jesse for some reason. Yeah, Axel uh, Brody or something like that. He was Austin O'Brien, which again is like, yeah, they did change that. Changed. They definitely changed that because I definitely <laughs> saw an Austin yes. at one point. So, uh, and Amon is Adrian Gecko, yeah. which is like this another <laughs> another great quarterback name. Like Adrian Gecko steps back, uh, has a sad backstory about like his sick dying brother or whatever. We don't have time to resolve <laughs> that plot line. The bad guys have won. Uh, they get introduced. They use the legendary planets like once each. Uh, some of them hint towards having their own things going on that never really gets resolved. 
And then it's like, well, we have to do the final battle. So the villain uh, beats them all up and steals all the planet specs so that he can use them to unlock his powers. And then uh, he duels Manjobe and Judai and uh, they beat him and uh, end the series. And, and it gets look, resolved very quickly. I, I will say that even though the plot itself gets resolved very quickly, that final duel is a satisfying duel. There are nice yes. twists and turns. Like they get him down to like 200 life points and then he shoots back up to like... 8,000 or some shit like that. You truly do feel like at that point, like how the fuck do these guys get out of this? Like things look so dire. So there are a lot of really satisfying moments like that. Um, But I think the introduction of the American, like the extra American students just adds so much to the plot. And there's this necessity to like feed them storylines and also kind of deal with the other kids that just doesn't, there's wasn't enough time to deal with any of it. So all that stuff just feels rushed. Like, when we finally do get to like individual duels, we see Jaden fight uh, Gecko, and then the other four duels basically happen concurrently and have the exact same story beat yeah. where like the American duelist draws their planet card when they're on the ropes, plays it. They're like, I don't remember putting this in my deck, and then win with the exception of Chaz, who like overcomes it and wins his match. But other than that, everyone loses, and you're just like, yeah, this wasn't really that satisfying because they yeah. they spent time building up like Jesse, who you're like, oh, this guy seems like he'd be a fun character, this little, like weird and like one of the cooler moments of like self awareness in the manga where they see him, they're like, he's like chasing bugs, and they're like, I wonder what his deck is, and he's like, oh, rhinoceros beetle, this is the best day of my life, and like, I bet he's an insectivorous. <laughs> like, Never mind, I think I figured it out, and I was like, hell yeah. Very different uh, from how he is in the anime, although similar vibes at least. Um, but yeah, like it feels like there was a plot line being built up for all of them. Like we mentioned, Gecko is like has a backstory to establish. Like he's so intense because it's like I need to become a pro duelist because I have a sick sibling on the line and I need yeah. money. Uh, but we just don't get the time to deal with all that. Zane, as you mentioned early on, like shows up and then just hangs out in the background. I truly. Do not remember what, what he's happened. doing the whole time. I don't remember what happens to him at the end. Like he must have gotten he beaten do off. Anything. Well, I'm like, Atticus, no, he doesn't do anything. I was like, Atticus got mind control, like got defeated and then got mind controlled. And I was like, okay, I remember what happened to Atticus. And I sit there, I'm like, Zane must have done something. Like, even if we didn't nope. see it, he must have been like knocked out. Like I've been defeated. He's too strong or whatever. And you're just like, fuck man this dude really like shows up and just exists in the background of shots to do nothing uh yeah i think that the series definitely starts to lose its steam uh, about two-thirds of the way through uh the very very end yeah like you said i do think the final duel at least has some big ups and downs uh and it's nice to see manjoa do important stuff all throughout the series Mm -hmm. uh that's nice and I would also say that, like, I, I really do think that, like, the buildup in the first half is really yes. well done. I think that the, you know, evil American students are uh, effective villains. David is just this kind of, like, big asshole that you want to see get beat because he keeps on using his really shitty card <laughs> to beat people. Uh, and then Mackenzie is a really, really compelling villain. Uh, when she's being evil and then she, you know, gets to be be fleshed out and be more than just that when she has to stick around more, at least. There are two plot points I want to bring up about Mackenzie real quick. Yeah. One, there is a shot. Mackenzie duels uh, the teacher, Miss Sabiki, 
Uh, mm-hmm. And there is a shot of the two of them next to each other. And it was that moment that I realized so there's basically only like four female characters in this series, like those two, Alexis. And then there's the beauty pe- queen pageant girl who shows right, up right. twice. Every female character has the exact same body. I don't mean yeah. like they're both, they're all busty or whatever. Like, I mean like the exact same body type, like to a T that I have to presume women in that world all shop at one store because like the, all clothing comes in one size. It fits every body type here. Exactly. This is how it works. Uh, but the uh, two, uh, Mackenzie is intro- like when we, we're introduced to Atticus, we see he's like a skirt chaser, and eventually it's mm-hmm. revealed like, hey, he's dating Mackenzie. It's also revealed Mackenzie has not been she's not she's been mind controlled since she's like six years old or, yeah. or a child, some like point like that. It is never addressed, and I wasn't expecting them to fully get into it, but you were expecting one comment after she gains her like mind that like Atticus would be like, You're a lot different than you used to. <laughs> Like you're, this is like a radically different thing that's kind of been going on. Yeah. Like I here's the thing. I don't want to say like, oh, well, they were in love. This could have been like a fling. It could have been fucking like a relationship of convenience, whatever. But it is one of these things. You're like, this person you've been seeing is significantly different than she was before this. Yeah, I think that there is someone. It might be phoenix who says that she's back to acting like her old self at some point uh yeah. but yeah um and it is also kind of one of the one of the little frustrating things is that because she's not actively dueling after she gets freed from her evil mind control that she does fade a little bit when it's like okay you had kind of the hook that that that, that the hook caught something and then we didn't really then basically she like you know, she comes she i believe's like stumbles onto the plan and then the bad guy's just like the yeah. shadow realm with you and that's that's her give role. me your card yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's her involvement in the series that's basically it uh but while she's evil she gets some of the best moments of Yu-Gi-Oh villainy i've ever oh, fucking so seen <laughs> Uh, there is a bit where she duels Miss Hibiki, who is like kind of built up as being potentially like the best duelist in the fucking world. Uh, and she she's, you know, like countering all of her moves with like no monster cards because her deck is, is basically purely very high level monsters. Uh, so she's just, you know, knocking her back with trap cards and stuff. And then she gets like a bunch of these big dark angels out and she's going to finish off Mackenzie and Mackenzie's like wait if you beat me in the shadow realm in the shadow duel then I'll I'll die and you won't find out what it will take in order to revive your brother from the coma that he's in so Hibiki's like well shit I, I can't lose the duel but I can't beat her because I've got to find out so I've just got to like stall for time and as a result of that because she's not trying to win the duel anymore it just gives Mackenzie enough time to slowly set things up and work her way back. And she ends up winning the duel right when Hibiki gets to resolve to try and finish her off because, you know, she took too long. And so she turned it around. Basically, and like missed one turn of attack. And that one turn is what sealed the deal. If she had decided to do it one turn earlier, she would have won. But okay. she loses because of the mind games Mackenzie plays. And as she's collapsing, because, you know, she's going to be sent to the Shadow Realm, essentially, Mackenzie goes... Well, in exchange for the good duel, I'll tell you how to revive Koyo. 
I don't know. <laughs> it's such an asshole. It's very cool. I'll, I will go on the record as saying that was probably my favorite duel in the manga. There were a lot of really good ones, but that was definitely the one where it's like, I, I'm really enjoying this. Again, like, I don't pay attention to the card effects. I don't know if, like, mechanically that was an interesting duel at all, but, like, the flavor of everything was pretty cool. Very good stuff. Uh, what, happens what was your favorite duel? Series. It was either that or it was the duel between Manjomi and uh, and Ryo, uh, the Kaiser, because it's like extremely short what happens between them. But it's, you know, it's like Brock Lesnar, Goldberg. They just go all out from the very it beginning. And it's just over. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, you know, like it, they're just very good storytelling duels. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, it, it, even if you don't understand the mechanics, you understand what happened in it. Uh, so overall, I would say, especially if you are a fan of Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, then you should at least check out this series. If you're into Yu-Gi-Oh! in general, I, th- I say give it at least a try. Um, and unfortunately, like the last third-ish, the landing doesn't really get stuck. Uh, but the first 40 chapters especially are definitely worth reading and checking out because there's some you know different stuff that gets done with some characters you might already be familiar with and and it's worth seeing the different stuff that gets done with them there's uh, a really good tight core cast in those first in that first like two-thirds of the story uh and i quite enjoyed going through this and it did make me feel very nostalgic and, and good yeah uh for having no context for the anime beyond like a very surface level thing uh, i still enjoyed myself i thought it was fun uh, it gets a little extra at times, which is what I enjoy. Uh, not as much as I would like. And some characters don't get to do a whole lot, which is a little bit of a bummer, but it is still entertaining. Uh, I will also say the series ends with like a cliffhanger of like, not a cliffhanger, but like, hey, this, this guy's about to duel some other guy. Like, Jane's about to have a big fight with somebody. That's going to be cool. And then it kind of ends. And then there's a one shot that occurs afterwards that content that shows the duel but also doesn't finish it it also ends with like next move and you're like what was the point of this ultimately uh i will say that if you are curious to see that so if you're reading this through viz know that the viz volumes end with uh jaden about to go into that duel and if you want to read that duel you would have to have or i don't know if you could still buy the old issues of shonen jump it was the december 29th of 2014 edition has that extra one shot chapter uh shout out to ninja x3i who let us know about that doing doing Um, the legwork on that yeah so if you are curious you can't find that extra chapter but i will also say it doesn't end the series that much better i guess you get to see alexis in a different top i was gonna say like you get to see the other characters new design but i was like i think alexis is the only one you actually get to see any kind of like like half body shot of like they cut to the crowd a lot but they cut to just their faces and i was like fuck you it's a time skip give me something here yeah i think that last chapter before the cut is the only time that manjoma shows up in his signature outfit from the anime which is the black coat yeah uh, so yeah but otherwise uh i really did have a good time with it i i would like i need to stress this i guess like the episode where we did the original Yu-Gi-Oh! I think is one of my favorite episodes of Weekly Manga Recap we ever did. It was so fun getting to like read that series and just see how wild and crazy it is. And there is a difference now that like Yu-Gi-Oh! is an actual game and there's rules and like all that sort of stuff exists. It's just a different beast that like 
can't quite reach the same thing, but I think with what it's become, it still becomes something that I would have like a passing interest in. So I dig this a lot. I'd recommend it to anybody who wants to read something along those lines if you think you enjoy like Yu-Gi-Oh! But I, I will still say it also, you, you do have to read the card game stuff too. Like it, it does exist mm-hmm. in that realm as well. Yep. All right. Well, nice good discussion about GX. We've got a lot of manga to talk about uh, on top of that. So do this. Yes. So we're going to start off with uh, My Hero Academia, chapter 372, Naked. Uh, So this is continuing the mutant battle, uh, the heteromorph battle. Uh, there's a flashback that establishes, you know, Shoji deciding that he wanted to go and defend the hospital he and Koda did. They specifically asked All Might and, and Aizawa for that assignment. Shoji also says that he spent a little bit of time actually talking to the large mutant woman who still doesn't get a name. She's been brought up so many times in this manga. And she still doesn't have a name. She's just that large woman over there. Um, but, uh, you know, Shoji is like, okay, so there's this group of Tetamorphs, they're going to attack a hospital. I can't stand back while that's going to happen. Uh, Aizawa agreed to send them out there, but he also is sending Pres- has specifically sent President Mike to keep an eye out for them. Uh, and President Mike has more confidence in them because, you know, they're stronger. Uh, stronger than he and Aizawa and whatever Kurogiri's real name is, I forget, uh, were. Uh, speaking of Coda, as is, we were making Hitchcock jokes last last week. Uh, that's literally what he calls his attack. He calls it Hitchcock birds, uh, summoning a giant swarm of birds to attack people. Turns out that his quirk is like awakening or something because his his horns have grown in, which his mother apparently told him was going to happen, and it allows him to not only talk to animals but literally just psychically communicate with them Aquaman style. Yes. So upgrade for him. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Shoji unleashes his like wind-up punch thing and just knocks uh, Spinner through the air with scales flying off of him uh, because he hit him so goddamn hard. Uh, and Shoji yells out to all the other heteromorphs like, hey, you guys are just being exploited uh, by these people who want to exploit your gifts and power. Don't let them exploit your wounds. Your children might be the next target. Be better than mere Avengers. This is like, that was like, a moment. like, here's the thing. We, we talked in a large part last week about like how we're not like super excited about some of the execution of this, this like Shoji heteromorph storyline. But that moment right there, I was like, fine. You know, you, you're saying your piece in this way that my hero does where it, doesn't really say a whole lot and it's just like it, it's very it's very like rocky balboa ending the cold war by just being like if i could change you could change we all change and a room full of russians start cheering like yeah um, he is right. <laughs> and i was fully prepared for that to be the conclusion to all of this where i was just like all right satisfying not the best landing not anything even close but like I'm ready to wrap this up and head home. And then it's just like, you thought I was done, huh? Like, fuck, man. So Spinner, who I'll remind everyone was uh, mindless and unable to follow basic conversations a moment ago, uh, starts um, reciting, I think, from memory uh, what he had said previously. 
which is, you know, he just talks about, you know, the grudge of against humanity and how if heroes win the day, then nothing is going to change for them. And he also brings up how he was sprayed with pesticide for walking in public, which is, um, ow, uh, that's, that's, that's bad. Uh, and, you know, he's like talking about like, getting freaking revenge and stuff. So, yeah, makes sense. Uh, then he like King Kong bounds off of the walls of several buildings to just dash towards the hospital ahead of everyone else. Uh, and things start to get confusing. So I am just going to go through a series of images here. The crowd is still really riley. There are riot police trying to hold the crowd back. An officer raises his pistol. Cut. Interior of the hospital. Spinner has arrived. He is covered in debris. His scales are trailing off of him. He is remembering what All for One has told him to do and how to get to Kuragiri so that they can bring the conflict to an end in their favor. A line of doctors, including the Yoshi doctor that we've seen previously, are standing in front of a reinforced inpatient ward doorway. Cut to an image of Shoji screaming. Cut to an image of a horse doctor. His eyes wide. Cut to an image of a patient with his wife, mother, a woman holding his hand cut to a hallway because Spinner is now going down the hallway and he imagines himself as a little kid running down the hallway thinking to himself, I never thought I'd get to be anyone, but by following you, maybe I could be somebody. Shigaraki, just watch me. I've got my allies behind me. But as he thinks that there is no one behind him because Spinner in real life has run far away ahead of all of his allies. And so no one's there with him. Except for present Mike, who has been following him. And he says, Shoji must have gotten through to them. And listen, that guy in there ain't going to be your ace in the hall. And then simultaneously, the two of them yell out for Kurogiri slash Shirakumo as Spinner bursts through the wall or there was already a hole in the wall or something. Quinn, can you walk me through some of what the fuck happened? Okay, so I, I can because I followed the conversation in our Discord and our Discord uh, listeners uh, were very smart and finally figured this out. By the way, she go check out our Discord. A lot of really good conversations happen in there. So uh, basically, like, Spinner does this whole speech, uh, tries to rally everybody they go. We get like what is I guess meant to be like a very cinematic shot of like Spinner coming in, gun, gunshot, shot, like sound effect over like a panel of an empty room. But then Spinner breaks in and he's crushed the cop that was holding the gun. It's very difficult to see, but underneath his oh, his, right. his right arm there is the guy. Then he rushes forward and we get the shot of like all the other people and. I don't know if it's just he went through a different entrance or we just don't really see the establishing shot. But the mob goes like they get they're the ones who see this line of doctors and are like, oh, 
we're not gonna push through like that the the pig guy oh there's people behind him in that one shot jesus yeah like the 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 horse pig guy or whatever he is is i guess one of the the bad guys and he's recalling a scene that he's seen to some extent he's like oh right shouldn't kill the doctors and that's why none of them follow along because the doctors are like blocking the pathway or whatever um it is a very difficult to follow sequence of stuff. I would not be able to follow it if our chat and discord had not like kind of established what it was ahead of time. So because Spinner is raging, he runs ahead of the group and gets separated from them because all the rest of them are like, Oh no, doctors. That's, that's why he's saying basically like Shoji must've gotten through to them. Like they finally came to their sentences when they see like all these doctors standing in the way. And it happened off screen, the way all great moments. In no, story it technically <laughs> didn't. It just happened in such an uninteresting way where like a dude I don't know if we've seen before is like the focal point to all of this of like and a scene that I don't like we must have met this character before because otherwise I don't understand the context of him seeing the doctors and remembering a scene. So we must have met this character before at some point, but <sighs> I have no context to what that is. Like, it, it's truly like a dude sees doctors, thinks back to a scene, and he's like, I guess I'll stop. Maybe it'll make more sense in the anime. Hey. Um, this chapter stunk. I, like, hated this chapter. I, I, I really think that this is, like, kind of established that I just don't vibe with the way Horikoshi paces his conflicts. Because I truly thought, like, after Shoji's big like action fight moment and like the cool moment with the birds, I was like, all right, Spinner is done. And then Spinner gets back up and he's like, nah, I'm going to keep going. And I'm just like, I'm I, I, like, I, I, this isn't like me saying like, this is a problem of the manga. This is me just saying, I do not vibe with the pacing of this series. I was ready to like put myself behind at that point. Instead, he keeps going and it's not aided by the fact that like the following sequence is just really hard to read. Uh, and I'm just like, all right, fine. Like I don't truly have that much of an interest in like, I knew we are going to have to deal with like Kurogiri and the all our present Mike uh, Aizawa situation at some point or Aikawa, whatever his name is. Aizawa. Aizawa. Uh, so I'm fine with that. But like, I, I like at this point, I'm like, I just want these villains to be done. I'm just tired of watching them exist still because they've they all just get beaten. They lose all the interest at that point for me. Mm. Like, I was kind of like, I feel like the the intrigue of Spinner having lost all of his mental faculties and then being defeated was kind of like, that was the fall for that character. Like this moment of him being like, all my friends are with me, but no one's following him. I was like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to feel there. Am I supposed to feel satisfied? Am I supposed to feel sad? Am I supposed to, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not into this anymore. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I'm sad now. Let's talk about <laughs> Undead and Luck and fix that. Uh, I don't want you to be sad. Undead on Luck. This is number 134. If, you, if you're if you the you that I knew. That's a tongue twister right there. Say that seven mm. times fast, Nick. 
If you're the youth that I knew, if you're the youth that I knew, if you're the youth that I knew, if you, yeah, fuck. There you go. Boom. Thank God I said seven, not three times. Otherwise, I'd have looked like quite the fool. So it's 1972, Nick, New York City. That's what they sounded like back in New York. Yeah. Uh, And Nico opens the door saying, more religious solicitators. Uh, I'm an atheist now. Beat at you. And Fuqua says, long time no see. Let's slay God together, Mr. Nico. An awesome introduction. introduction. Fantastic. 10 out of 10. Really, truly. Um, (laughs) Nico closes the door. He's like, fuck this. And Fuqua's just like, I'm going to get you to hear it. And just sort of walks through the door because there's like it, it breaks open, but then pulls itself back together. And I do love that Nico's just like, what the fuck? And Fuko's like, oh, you dropped your cigarette. That's going to start a fire. We got to put out the cigarette. As he's like, the, what the fuck did you do to my door? It's still here. What What are those cracks? What did you do? She's like got a full on blanket to smother the flame. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's it's very, very cool. She explains like, hey, it's a UMA. I've got to explain everything going on. And we get like a shot like the conversation has happened. And Nico is just like UMAs, artifacts and the gators. I don't want to believe it. And I've, I don't know if we know the name of the UMA that's traveled with her. But it, my dude's just chugging a fucking glass of coke. And it's such a satisfying thing. I think it's just UMA move. But I'm not 100% yeah. positive we've seen it like before this. We probably have. Uh, And Nico's just like, I don't want to believe it. And she's like. Oh, you don't want to believe it? He's like, no, like, this is so crazy. Like all these rules, like all these scientists that I have admired and have spent their entire life dedicating to discovering the rules of the universe. And you're saying that these rules were just written by some shitty God. Like this doesn't make sense. And Fuqua's like, but I need you to believe it. He's like, who said I didn't? You think there's a scientist alive in the world who would encounter the unknown like this and simply look the other way? I don't want to believe it, but I will so that the science can get closer to the answers. It's a very satisfying little character moment there. Oh, yeah. And it's just him being like, God, fuck, this is really complicated. So what do you need out of me? Fuqua's like, that's great. I figured that if you were the Mr. Nico that I knew, you would say that. And I do like that this exchange happens in the way it does, because Nico's like, oh, God, don't tell me I was your boyfriend or something. And it's like Nico being like, nah, not at all. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> Why would I ever date you? And Nico's just like, good. I'd be only interested in someone with the intelligence to match me. And I don't want any kids either. And you're just like, mm, well, about that, buddy. <laughs> well, one of those things happens. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's like, so how are we going to make use of myself in science? Like, you must have had something to mind. And Fuku pulls out her roadmap and she's like, tragedies are about to start happening and I need to stop those tragedies from happening. That's why I want you to lend your scientific mind to me. And Fuku's like, he's just like, what do you mean? He's like, yes, I'm negator of luck, aptly called unluck. If I touch someone that I like, I give them a stroke of us unluck. And thanks to that, in the previous loop, I caused an airplane accident that involved 270 passengers, including my parents. And he's like, okay, I get it. So all these incidents occur when we weren't able to deal with the sudden manifestation of all these really awful abilities. So now we're going to try to prevent them. And Fuku's like, great, you got this. So the first one, we like the key to all of this is Miss Gina unchanged. And I like it because 
uh, Nico's like unchanged. What does she do? I don't know. Like ignore physics and prevent change and variation and things and shit like that. And Fugo's like, you got it. I won. And he's so pissed. He's like, does this God think science is a joke? What is this? Uh, and she's just like, yeah, her ability is really unique due to its versatility. It can do all these things. And if we could find Miss Gina and add her to the team, we can save another ally. And once we have their help, we can save another and another and so on until everyone is saved. And the others still haven't manifested their abilities. And out of everyone, you're the only one who has the scientific skills on par with negation abilities who would be able to st- uh, who would believe the story and cooperate with me. So I need you. And he's like, all right, cool. If I'm a part of this group, if I'm a part of this team, then you could have found any other scientist. You came all the way from me. What kind of negator do I become and what kind of tragedy is awaiting me? And Fuko thinks back to everything and she kind of thinks through her reasoning. And she's like, if he were to learn about a Chico and to fall in love and be forced to suffer due to unforgettable, he would very likely just distance himself from a Chico. And from what I saw on the artifacts information, he was at his scientific, highest scientific level so far in the past loop, which means that Ichiko's presence is essential. So in that case, if you touch the present, I can't tell you no matter what. And she's like, he's like, wait, what are you saying? That bad things are in store for me and I shouldn't come up with a plan to prevent them from happening? And Fuka's like, yes. And he's like, and that I should keep helping you until the time comes? Yes. <laughs> Uh, and he's like, what, just because you're so fucking full of baseless confidence? And she's like, no, not just me. I want you to trust me and all of the allies you're about to save. And if you do, I'll ensure that you're the happiest you've ever been in any loop. And she is sobbing as she says it. And that's that's enough to to warm up Nico's like, sorry about it. You, you must have had a rough life. Let's do that. So... They, they basically are like, all right, we, we, we stopped. Well, we didn't. I stopped on and on by stopping them from grabbing the G pen, which is what activated their ability. Miss Gina's ability can't be stopped, though. It is going to happen. And in 1972, in the Soviet Union, her ability will unconsciously activate, making the air around her unchangeable and causing the death of 40,000 civilians via asphyxiation. 40,000. So in order to prevent this tragedy, and Fuko hands Nico like a schematic and is like, I need you to make this a device to stop the spread of unchanges air and invention from the future. Yeah, this is a really good chapter. I uh, really love just this feeling of like, look, we're going to stop this sequence of horrible tragedies with the power of friendship. It really... <laughs> And I mean, it's not, it's not that simple because it's like, oh, you know, each person that we save is going to have an ability that'll let, mm-hmm. let help us to save the next person. And that's why she's been working on this big roadmap with the last, you know, hundred years or so over time. But that feeling of that drives it forward is just like, we're all in this together. And because we're all in this together, we're going to make it through this. Okay. Despite the absurd odds that are against us. And despite the fact that it's been failure after failure and tragedy after tragedy at this point feels good i uh i mentioned last week i'm going to be a sobbing bitch throughout this part of it and it already started i cried during this chapter which if you know my rule means this is chapter of the week already uh but her sobbing as she's like i'm 
promise you you're gonna have the happiest life in this loop than any you've ever had is like a moment that really got to me so uh 10 out of 10 chapter in my mind i really really enjoyed this all right and now let's move over to chainsaw man so chainsaw man showed up and uh killed yuko devil it looked like so this is no good uh yoru uh reaches into yuko's body this is uh, chapter 110 a ring in the night by the way and uh, she declares Yuko leg sword. So now uh, the leg of a person that Asa likes is in her possession. She probably do some damage with that. And she looks over to Chainsaw Man and says, hey, remember me? And oh, Denji, he, he just, he sees that Asa's in her underwear and just, just, just fucking stares. Like, big old pervert. Uh, but... Then uh, a hand emerges from the guts that he has cut out of Yuko. Uh, that girl that uh, she was going to kill is, has, has survived. She, she's still alive. Uh, and uh, I think that Denji asks her, hey, do I know this person? Which, like, how would she know? Uh, but, um, I, oh, he, but I think he's actually asking about if he knows who the girl that is, has survived is. This girl is already clearly traumatized because she's been in demon guts. And uh, he goes, I saved you! And of course she's terrified because he has a chainsaw-headed demon. Uh, and uh, she says, don't eat me! He's like, I'm not going to eat you! Wait, I'm Chainsaw Man! I don't eat people because I'm a human on the inside! And I've never eaten multiple people before. That <laughs> is was only never... one time. <laughs> I've eaten a person. He didn't ask that. He said, do I eat people? No. Plural? Absolutely not. Not, not No siree. And then in a very eventful page, Denji says, how about I show you my human form to prove it? Very natural. Very, very, very cash. While Yoru is flying through the air in mid-swing to cut his head off, but Yoshida springs into action uh, and summons an octopus and drags Denji away by force and pulls him through the floor and he's gone as Yoru swings through and fails to kill him. Uh, and Yoru, you know, just kind of looks around, sees the Chainsaw Man is gone and she gets really sad and depressed. She's like, is, is he saying that I'm not even worth his time? And then she starts yelling like, I'm going to kill you, Chainsaw Man! Show yourself! Uh, in a different part of the school that has suffered way, way, way less damage, Yoshida drops Denji on the floor and reminds him, like, you're so hopeless. I, I told you that I would stop you by force if I had to. And then she's really sad. And he yells out, but that was such a natural reveal. <laughs> no, it wasn't Denji. Not particularly, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you're trying, buddy. Uh, the day goes by. Uh, news spreads very quickly about what the hell happened. Uh, people have heard that it was Yuko that uh, turned into a devil. Uh, and there are rumors, apparently, that Yuko was bullied in middle school. So it seems that she's got some pre-existing problems with this beyond just her relationship with Asa. Uh, and uh, it's really bad because, like, you know, this girl turned into a devil and killed some of her classmates. And this one guy's just like, yeah, it just goes to show how the mentally weak get tricked by devils easily. 
Fuck you, dude. <laughs> Asa has a dream, which is apparently a recurring dream, which is that she is running down an alleyway and the ground is littered with dead chickens. At first, I try not to step on them, but it fills up with so many bodies that I can't avoid it. And there's darkness ahead of me. And then I always wake up at that part. Which, uh, dreams and chainsaw, man, that are ominous and foreboding, that never comes to play. There certainly won't be another thing involving, like, doors or something like that that certainly feel disturbingly uh, like something from part one. And as we all know, there is no reason to be afraid of the darkness in Chainsaw Man. Like, come on. Asa startles awake. Uh, she gets goes to get, you know, a drink of water. But as she is going to walk back, the doorbell rings behind her. Uh, it's like 1.30 in the morning. And so she's like, what the hell is going on? She asks who it is. And it's Yuko. And Yuko just says, hey, Asa, sorry. Uh... Asa goes to answer the door, and Yuko flat out tells her, don't open the door! I turn into a devil, and if I see you, I might I might, I might, might try to eat you. Asa opens the door immediately. No hesitation. Uh, what could be, like you said, what bad could happen from... from Nothing bad happens for opening doors! Power, no! But I, I do love that Asa doesn't actually hesitate at all. She's like, no, no, I gotta help my friend. Uh, but she answers the door, and uh, Yuko is human-sized again, but, like, she's clearly very demonic now. She's got, like, scaly tentacle things instead of arms, and they're coming over her face, and she's trying to hide the hoodie. Yeah. And she just says, I told you not to open. And she's, like, embarrassed, but also she might try and eat Asa. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be interesting. This is, like, a, a fine, like, follow-up. Chainsaw Man's been either very funny or very action-packed, and this one's not really either of those, but still good in both ways. Uh, so I'm, I'm satisfied and, and excited to see more. Yes. Uh, I, this chapter took some directions I was not expecting it to go in, but I am now very dramatically intrigued by what's happening here. There is no Kaiju number 8 chapter this week, although there was a showcase with some art that was very cool-looking. Yeah. Oh boy, World Trigger! World Trigger! Nick, everyone loves when you had to talk about World Trigger. Uh, two two chapters. chapters! Two chapters! Okay, stuff stuff's kind of happening this time. Like, kind of. So, 221 and 222, the away mission test parts 24 and 25. We've been here for so long. Uh... So Osama's on the phone with Kodera and they exchange information. He specifically asked Kodera about thoughts on the initial exchange in the battle sim uh, matches because the rules say that fellow members of our original squads can't communicate. They established like, okay, we've got Kotori here and Miura over there, so we can't have them talk with each other. But other than that, the rest of us can talk just fine. Uh which sounds like it's an, an essential like component of the test to see how everyone else will talk with each other. But anyway, the initial exchange is basically, uh, you know, just like the first time that units attack each other. And so Osamu says, I think that that basically determines the outcome of the whole match. Uh, and because in the special assignment we got yesterday, it asked us why there are three squads pitted against each other in rank wars. 
And the reason I came up with one of them is that one-on-one -on -one matches would give too big an advantage to a squad that has more people in it. So if you have two squads going at each other, one and wins the initial exchange, they're left with a large, larger number of units. And then basically that, it, that settles it. The other team can't really come back from the numbers deficit. Uh, and so they go over that Aww. and everyone's like, oh. Osamu learned engaging. Or initiating, sorry, initiating, I'm sorry. Oh, gotcha. And uh, so they go over that and uh, I was like, huh, yeah. And then uh, one of the people over on Kodera Squad looks over at Kitora and is like, oh, oh, she looks kind of frustrated. Hmm. Yeah, I guess she's just kind of used to just like being awesome and winning with her own strength, basically. Uh, but as they talk about this, they kind of everyone kind of agrees with Osamu's uh, interpretation of things. Uh, and uh, so they're like, OK, yeah, that I, I get that. Uh, they go over some more information. Ui speaks up. Uh, and says, yeah, so the data on enemy unit stats and skills is full of holes and gaps, and it feels like it's kind of being filled in at random and has nothing to do with what happens in the matches, so I figured we should, you know, compare notes and fill in blanks in our respective data. So they share information with each other in the purest sense of the, of, of the, uh, of the term, essentially. Uh, they also draw particular attention to Katori's skill Omni Penchant, which allows her to equip, equip two pension skills, which Katori thinks is useless. Uh, so she's I'm sure she's right. She's not the best theory crafter. <laughs> no. <laughs> she's, she'd be terrible at thinking up combos, yeah. So uh, they go over that. Uh, they ask basically a question that is kind of a very obvious, like, how do we make up for Osamu having shit try on? And they give Kodera gives them a big tip over uh, using blades instead of guns and also using Raygust instead of a shield because it's way more efficient stat wise. Uh, and so that gives them a little bit of a leg up. And then they hang up on a Kodera squad. And then they also talk with uh, Udagawa squad and. Uh, it was Yuma's idea to talk with them about this because, you know, Yuma's like, duh, Osama gets good ideas. Uh, so they share information that way. Uh, then after they get done with that, Yuma brings up that he thinks that what makes their squad currently unique is that they've got three captains on the squad because they've got Katori and Sua and Osama all together. And, and so they're like, well, well, why is that a big thing? And Osama says, well, okay, so... The initial exchange is the key to each match, yes. And I think that basically Mizukami's squad is doing well because he's found one good way to go about it, which is that one person handles all the teamwork as opposed to everyone having to figure out how to handle multiple units together. Mizukami knows how to do that because he's a captain. And our squad has three captains, so we could kind of do what Mizukami is doing by dividing up our units into mini squads to work together and so we do all the coordination that way as opposed to all these people who aren't used to coordinating having to do it on the fly makes sense yes so solid so, logic all around all all around for these guys now what's gonna happen <laughs> like oh my this? god we're like halfway through one of two chapters uh, they're like, okay, we'll figure out what what happens next uh, with you know like um, you know all this other stuff. Uh, 
they also say like, oh, and Oki can handle the snipers based with, for people who don't know how to handle snipers. And then they're like, we're going to get more units tomorrow, presumably. Mizukami, we cut to at the end of the chapter, and he's like, huh, there's more units to deal with. Hey, guys, whom I very much respect, uh, I got to tell you something. And chapter 228, it's about him coming clean to the squad and saying like, look, uh, I've been doing this on my own. There's too many units for me to handle. So I need you guys to step up and start working with me on this. Teruya gets really fucking pissed off about this because she's like, why'd you keep this a secret from us? And he's like, because I didn't feel like you needed to tell, <laughs> I needed to tell you until now. She demands an explanation and we start getting reactions from the monitor room uh, because Maki's like, yeah, she's kind of like causing trouble right now when it's not an opportune time to do this. She's taking away people's time to react to the situation by kind of drawing in a personal grudge over him keeping a secret. Yes, he was wrong to do that, but she shouldn't be handling it this way. She should at least do it at a different time. Mizukami spends a lot of the chapter explaining himself and a grad and eventually just kind of like makes everyone agree with him. They bring at the point of like, from his point of view, they would have had this argument at some point anyway. And he wanted to basically get his way if he was going to have to have the argument. It was just a matter of the order would happen in, and he wanted to guarantee that it, he could get this early advantage for them. And that's basically it. And then, you know, he gives, he says like all the right stuff and convinces them to work with him. And then Taria finally is just like, all right, I'll do it. But can you say please? And I was like, why, why is it? No, 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 no. Look, I'll do my best even if you don't do that. But there's something about when someone asks me to please do something for them that lights a fire in my soul. And who is this woman? <laughs> what is this character trait? She is from Kakizaki Squad, and she's one of the most promising young rookies. And it's like... I'm sure these characters will be important. Like, I'm now understanding, like, okay, obviously Katori was important in that match that followed the Tomacoma 2 match, like, that we had to see was important because it really showed us what Wakamore and Katori's relationship was like. So I'm like, this character must be important down the line, but it is definitely a moment where you're just like, I please the firework factory. It's been so many years. Look, kids, I can do another kickflip. No! <laughs> I just want to see the firework factory! It does have a cute moment because all the people monitoring it give her a bunch of points for, I guess, getting everyone fired up. But anyway, we close the chapter on one more Osamu point, which is he's got an idea regarding the universal assignments, but he says, I'm not sure if it's against the rules or not. We'll hear his idea next time, presumably. That's it. At least... We had two chapters this month, and at least some stuff got done. Yes, That's... we did. And yet again, we had another scenario where, like, a chapter ended with, like, Osamu being like, hey, I think I know what's going on. And we get a little bit more detail, and it's like, yeah. Like, he doesn't have, like, a big moment, but he's had, like, three or four, like, small kind of cool moments. And then there's another – it does it again where it gets to the end of the chapter. He's like – I don't. I think I may have an idea about how to approach this. Not sure if it's against the rules, and it's like, oh, some sneaky trick. Credits. And you're like, fuck. I just want to know. Four weeks. Good stuff. Regardless, Nick, let's talk about Eden Zero, Chapter Two Fifteen, from the depths of the Earth. 
Uh, so Shiki had uh, from the depths. Yeah, thirty stories high, breathing fire. It's a fucking boat. <laughs> so Shiki is victorious. He's defeated Ziggy, and Pino's back and is like, "Hey, did you always know it was Master Ziggy?" And he's like, "No, I figured it out when he called you little girl because." That's something you would call a human girl. And Pino blushes. And you're like, fine. Cute moment. Whatever. Uh, and Cheeky's just like, yeah, I've gotten like this power up because like grandpa's fought power has fallen to me. Like gravity. I just stole that shit. <laughs> you're like, sure. I guess that's how it works. Don't know if he's said that with literally any other enemy. So this is convenient. <laughs> yeah. Eden Zero, getting ready, bunch of alerts going on, and like, holy shit, I think we need to prepare for departure now. Uh, a ship flies in, which I guess is Justice's ship, but like, it looks like a creature. I had no idea what was yes. going on. Uh, but he's shown up carrying Hamora, and he's like, hey, she helped Justice out of a jam, so I'm here to return her. Like, one good favor deserves another. Uh, and they're just like, hey we're not gonna fight everybody really should leave because the chronophage is coming like operation planet eater didn't need to happen the chronophage is already on its way shiki teleports in because now he has the wormhole power and he's like hey guys you got hermit's message i can teleport now let's go and kind of like justice or not justice fuck eraser. Uh, eraser god how could i get these characters confused uh eraser is like this is shiki the man with the ether of a demon king and Jiggy's like, hey, you guys got to get out of here, too. I got to go find Elsie. And Race is like, don't bother with Elsie. Apparently, her and Justice want to talk alone. Let's not be a third wheel in their conversation. They'll get out when they need to. Yeah, so. give, give, them, give them time to bone down. Yeah. <laughs> you got to give them like five, ten minutes, man. It's been a while. We don't see them. I'm assuming that they went to bone town. Dude, like... they have to be hate fucking at this point. Like <laughs> all the tension that's going on. It's wild. Um, before Shiki can leave, Racer just asks, mind if I ask you a question? What are you guys after? Shiki's just like, adventure. We're going to find Mother. And he teleports away. And everybody's like, I don't know why. We get, like, extra detail of, like, Feather confirming, like, yes, that Shiki now has Ziggy's power and must have defeated Ziggy. So it's, like, just kind of a weird little dude ball moment. Every time that she shows up on in this, because a lot of times she's got her eyes closed, I'm like, wait, isn't Witch dead? And I'm like, oh, right, it's a different character. Nick, it's a different please. character. This series has such distinct character designs. I, I went like, is like, wait, is that Witch? No. Is that Sister? No. Is that Holy? No. <laughs> right, right. That one. <laughs> Shether, how could I forget? Uh, the In Zero is launching. And they're like, what are we going to do? Half of our engines are all exploding. He's like, who do you think I be? And he looks over and sees her back. And he's like, I oh. shouldn't have talked about how hot I thought she was before. <laughs> that was pretty. That was a pretty big own goal on my yeah. part. <laughs> really, really self-owned me. Um, Hermit goes to talk to Shiki. And he's like, hey, I know it must have been hard to kill Ziggy. And he's like, no, I'm sure it was hard for you guys, too. Uh, Hermit's like, hey, by the way, the real enemy Ziggy was talking about, the one controlling him, like, when Ziggy left the Eden Zero 18 years ago, he said something else, uh, something to Elsie. He said he couldn't bring a ship that big to Grand Bell because it's a theme park, but that doesn't make sense. When did he build it? She doesn't have any response. He's just like, it was probably under construction when we were in outer space, that blank period in our enemy. 
but we don't know why he would have built it. But I guess he wanted a spare ship in case something happens to the Eden Zero, which must have been just a translation error. He must have been at the Eden's One. Because yeah, they're in the Eden Zero and talking about it. Yeah. So that yeah. that part I had to like sit there. I was like, what? Am I reading this wrong? Uh, and he's like, this part may be a jump in logic, but I think it may have developed its own it will. Is. One that was in opposition to Ziggy's goals. He's like, it's Why? own will. <laughs> How? <laughs> Uh, and then suddenly, whoa, all the radars are going off. Blah, 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 blah. And they're like, wait, the AI was too advanced. It surpassed the intelligence of humans and the intelligence of machine. And that like, doesn't a, make any sense. A beast <laughs> explodes out of the ground. He's like, it were here all along. And a big monster shows up and Hermit's like a ship with unparalleled power and matchless intellect. That is our real enemy. The Edens won a ship. With the mind of its own. Bom, 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 bom. I also liked Mass Effect and the Reapers. Bom. Didn't we like say that this was a possibility of what the villain would be? And we were like, no, that's pretty realistic. It'd be stupid, but it would, but it could happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, they've been teasing that stuff out for a while. And it's like, like I, I, I'll say devoid of a lot of things i don't actually have that big of a problem with this as i said i actually do like like i did like mass effect which was awesome like mass effect one did this exact same twist like where in the end you're like oh the bad guy we've known the entire time actually is being controlled by something it's the ship he's driving like we never once thought to consider like the ship itself is actually like a hyper advanced super robotic race that we didn't even know existed and it's like kind of a cool twist um I think this is just going to be dumb because it's hero writing it, and that just tends to be <laughs> that just tends to be the case. But as it is right now, I'm like, all right, I'm kind of, I'm okay with it. Like it's, it's dopey, but like I'll go with it. You know, let's have fun. I'm going. I don't. To like I don't. Them. I don't agree that it. Sh- it shouldn't. I don't know why it has such a fish-like design. That's an interesting choice. I I'm going to set an over under on how long it'll take for the. Eden's one to uh, in any scene needs to communicate with people start just like having some sort of like holographic projection or you know uh, substitute body that's just humanoid. Uh, Shiki needs something to punch Nick, so yeah, yeah. obviously, <laughs> like duh. And uh, also, is it going to be you know like a, like a Ziggy design villain? You know, like lots of horns and wings and claws and stuff, or is it for some reason going to be a busty woman? Like, yeah. uh, you know. It makes sense. I'm glad they're doing something with it, you know, but yeah. All right. We shall see. We'll we'll see. (laughs) Akari Banashi! Story 37, Rakugo Quest. The color page, uh, obviously, is a Dragon Quest uh, kind of tribute uh, thing. That's neat. Uh, It's the end of the day at the performance hall. Uh, All of the Zenza are going home. Uh, Akari is thinking about what was established in the previous chapter, which is that, you know, she's kind of lacking in you know, Rakugo stories that she can perform in her repertoire. Uh, we also learned that Karashi actually performed the opener in her place because she didn't have anything that she could, you know, perform instead. Um, and, uh, you know, we get a little bit of, uh, how, okay. How, how, Yama, that's not his name. The Tate Zenza is, you know, kind of like, hey, hey, if you don't know stories, you just got to learn more. He's just kind of like reading her mind and they're kind of making fun of her because she's so, you know, easy to read and stuff. But he says, hey, you got a ton of talent. I know you'll pick them up in no time. And uh, 
they part ways uh, so that it's just Karashi who is with Akane. And he establishes like, yeah, the only ones I know are Jugemu, Praising Children, Tenshiki, Scared of Manju, and Sangojin. And he is like, oh my god, oh my god. And he just like collapses to his knees like, I, 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 I lost to you and you only know five stories. <laughs> I thought you were doing Jugemu just because you were like trying to challenge yourself. Um, and he's like, yeah, do you realize the position you're in right now? Uh, and Akane says, well, my calves do feel a little swollen, which I, I feel like I missed part of the context of the punchline there. Um, I guess it's because he said position, but, eh. but he says, look, Rakugo stories are divided two ways. Tate, which is vertically and Yoko laterally. The higher the tate, the higher the difficulty. The difficulty of mastering the story. At the tip are the oneta, big epic stories that are long and complex and only a shinichi can properly perform them. Like Shibahama, which is what the voice actor did, which is a nice little reminder of, of, Hikar, of Hikaru's uh, place in the story. Uh, whereas the Zenza Banashi are the easiest to remember and, and memorize Almost all of your stories are Zenza Banashi, the most basic Rakugo stories. Since you're at a decently high level, one would have assumed that you had already learned a ton of skills, but it turns out you've only got the starter abilities, and this is envisioned as Akane is an RPG character who's way up at level 36 and only has two attacks. Oh no, is, just the basic skills. Which is, I think, a very, very good dorky metaphor to use. It's, it really gets the point across very quickly. Yes. Uh, so he's like, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm kind of disappointed. I kind of assumed that you just have more in your repertoire. But Akai says, so what you're saying is I should learn a bunch of hard stories right now. And Crush is like, no, you idiot. <laughs> and uh, he gets out a notepad and starts writing down uh, stuff. And he says, look, a Zenza can only can basically only perform Zenza Banashi. So you shouldn't be looking at the Tate. You should look at the Yoko, the lateral difficulty. So here, um, I'll, I'll write instructions out so that you can understand stuff. And he does. we continue like the Dragon Quest style explanation of stuff, which has lots of fun visuals, but I won't go through the entire thing because it would take a while to, to decipher, basically. Basically, she needs to broaden her repertoire of specifically low-level stories, Zenza Banashi. Uh, and Akai's like, okay, this sounds kind of tough, and it also like it's important who you learn them from, right? And Karashi agrees, yes. You know, people tend to think each apprentice is just kind of a replica of their master's style, but actually, Rakugoka learned from a wide selection of masters. And on the other hand, the same can be told. Story can be told in a lot of different ways depending on the performer. So you need to have a discerning eye on who you receive your lessons from. And uh, my master has got a policy of not allowing a Zenza to learn from anyone else. So if you're going to take outside lessons, you need to check with your master before. Why are you smiling? And Akane's got this really goofy look on her face as she's like, hee 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 hee. Because uh, she's like, oh, I'm just thinking like, because I'm kind of lucky to have you around because I'd be in trouble if you weren't around to like teach me this stuff and, you know, the, the, the active listening and everything. So thanks. You know, I'm really, I'm really grateful to you. And Karashi, the coolest man in the world, says, cringe, just while he's walking away from her. <laughs> 
And he's like, come on, like, I'm not doing this to be all buddy buddy with you. Like, I'm way ahead of you. I've, I've got like twice as many stories in my repertoire as, as you do. I'm just doing this because it's not fun to destroy someone who's not worth the trouble. He's he's being Sun Sun. He likes he's like, he like he's a little nice. Just yeah. deep down. Uh and he says, yeah, next time that we meet, I'm gonna be so far ahead of you, you'll you'll acknowledge my superiority. So uh Akane off panel just goes and tells all this stuff to Shigaba and we cut over to him saying he's like, Yeah, it's about time that you learn from other masters. Uh she's a little bit startled by this and he's like, Oh, did you want me to like be more selfish and protective of, of you? No, no, no. Uh it's just that, you know, I wanted to make that man uh accept my dad's Rakugo, and that's what drove me to become your apprentice. Even if this is what a Rakugoka is supposed to do. And Shigama kind of reads her mind and says, So you're worried that this doesn't actually align with your goals if you go about things this way. But he says he asks if she is familiar with the term shuhari. We're learning a lot of different stuff in terms of Zenza, Zenza uh, Rakugoka terms here. But he says shuhari is an expression of that is like a three part progression. Shu is protect, learn what your master teaches you. Ha is break, learn from other schools and use that to evolve your craft. Re is depart, elevate the art that you have refined and establish it as a style all its own. So you start off, you know, focused, you expand, and then you you become your own person. And he says, look, that's just how all Rokugoka go about mastering their craft. Shinta was no exception. If you only learn from me, then yeah, you'll get closer in style to me and Shinta, but you're only ever going to be a weaker imitation. If you don't learn to surpass us, you'll never truly reach your goal. I've had you focus only on Zenza Banashi to train you in the fundamentals, but now it's time you move from Shu to Ha. You should leave my care and learn elsewhere. Don't worry, the last seven years weren't for nothing. Learning from a different master will not diminish what I've taught you. And there's a little bit of a exchange between them because the kind's like, you could have told me this before. And he says like, no, then you wouldn't have learned the lesson I was trying to teach you and all that stuff. And, uh, Akane's, you know, got more work to do. She's got to go back to working at Yasakate. Uh, and as she's leaving, Shikuma thinks to himself, learning many different styles is the key to gaining that specific art. Cross the fence, go beyond the boundaries, and learn Akane. It's a very cool chapter. Uh, I really like the excitement of, you know, taking the context away from, oh, Akane's in trouble because she's only got these few stories to... Akane's got so much to learn, and that's exciting because she's got so much growing to do. It's cool. Yeah, uh, it's like a fun chapter in a lot of ways. There's a little bit of a weird moment towards the end where it's like, oh, she's moving on to a different place. You're like, I don't really have that much of a connection to her current school. Like, I think I care about her, like, fellow Rakuga at that school more than I really care about much about her relationship with her master since all that happened sort of in the past the backstory uh, yeah so there's a little bit of like a weird disconnect there but i am i am super excited at the idea of watching her find her style of rock ago i think that's probably what i'm more excited than anything about right now yeah i uh i think that def- that we're probably moving into a stage of the series where yes she's going to be moving to learning from other masters but also i don't think we're going to move too far away from that core group of her of her onikis yeah so 
I'm, I am excited by this. Yes. Huh. Blue box. Blue box. Chap 76. Didn't mean to say, which sounds like song lyrics. It's got that yes, cadence to it. Exactly. Uh, it's the last day of the training camp. They're having a bonfire. Wee! Yay! Meat, marshmallows, and stuff. Uh, Ayame is making faces at Kyo. Kyo. Because he's, she's still pissed off over him, you know, saying that she had no experience in actual relationships. Uh, though she admits to herself that she's never really had a long-term relationship or actually felt love for someone. But she says, that's why I want to cheer on people who are madly in love, thinking of Hina. Uh, Taiki uh, is uh, off by himself and he starts to shiver because he's cold because it's cold outside and so he goes to get his jacket from the gym and so Ayame very obviously just pushes Hina towards going there by sending her to um, check on the sound equipment uh, and Hina just kind of goes along with it and while Ayame says very obviously and you can take as long as you need to get back so yeah Ayame goes into the gym she immediately runs into Taiki who's found his jacket and uh, Hina does quickly realize, like, oh, yeah, she kind of did this on purpose, right? Um, but she realizes it just too late after she's already, she's already told Taiki why she's there, which is to mess with the equipment. And so Taiki says, oh, yeah, I can help you look for it. And yeah, they don't find anything. I assume that they were doing all the searching while Hina knew that they weren't going to find anything. Uh, but she looks out through the window and sees the bonfire from from there. And they start commenting on and talking about stuff. And uh, she kind of seizes the moment a little bit. And she says, hey, why don't we watch watch the bonfire from here together for a while? And uh, Taiki's like, yeah, yeah, sure, I could use a break. Because uh, I've been running around so much. So they sit on a bench. Uh, they start kind of teasing each other again over, you know, their different stuff that they've been up to at the training camp. Uh, and... Um, they, you know, reminisce over some stuff like how they went camping during their second year and played cops and robbers. And they go over like how Taiki would get away by doing Naruto stuff and acting like he had shadow clones by dashing back and forth really quickly. Um, and they, you know, just have share a fun memory over that. And, you know, they start to smile and laugh together and stuff. And as Taiki is smiling and laughing, he is looking at him. And she kind of starts to reach her hand across the bench that are on towards him. And then she thinks about Taiki talking with Chinatsu and she curls her fingers away from him and she gets kind of sad because Taiki doesn't love her back. So she instead brings up the King's game from a few chapters ago. And she asks, what were you going to answer when we were playing the King's game? And you were, you know, asked about, you know, who you had feelings for. I, I kind of thought that you were going to actually just tell her when you like Jinatsu Senpai. Um, but I guess you're not the kind of person who would just spill your feelings for someone during a, a freaking game. You could if you wanted to. That was my promise from the start. And I'd be totally fine. I just, you know, got to work harder than you. But to be honest, it stings sometimes. But, you know, I don't mind it because, you know, I love you so much. And she says this with this, you know, like blushing smile on her face. And Taiki starts to think about saying something, but Hina's like, oh, let's go. Let's go. Let's go head back. Uh, yeah. Um, and she 
thinks to herself like i i didn't i i didn't mean to you know, reiterate my love confession to him while we were here but as she's starting to go taiki calls out to her and he says i'm sorry and when he asks for clarification he says i can't go out with you this big two-page spread that shows off the whole gym and it's completely empty except for the two of them as he gives her his answer yeah i mean this 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 in one way feels like a huge moment in the other way i'm like it 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 doesn't because he's already said before i'm not interested in you like that per se uh Mm -hmm. i don't feel this is as definitive as people are reading it to be if only because i just feel like it doesn't change the circumstances per se really like i feel like she still has all the motivation like she hasn't fallen out of love with him so she still has this motivation to be like i'm gonna make you notice me and we know that he does have some level of conflicted feelings about her. So like, it's one of these things that like, it feels like this is a huge moment. And the other time I'm just like, I feel like we've, I don't know what changes at this point, if anything. So. I don't know. Um, maybe if he gives a more definitive rejection, maybe that'll start to move things. He's like, I think your face is ugly. I just don't like you. Uh, I just, just can't stand to be around your you. Feet, you fart all the time. Your feet smell. <laughs> um, and also, I am willing to kind of give Blue Box the benefit of the doubt when it comes to revelations of, that will alter the course of of these relationships and stuff. Uh, but I definitely see your point. I'm also very much used to shonen romance story. We're going to make it like there's going to be a big progression and then the next chapter, take it back. Yes. Uh, but I guess we'll find out next week. We shall uh, see. The, you know, Blue yeah. Box is at least good for following up on the, on the cliffhangers it leaves off on. Uh, Ginka and Luna, Chapter 9, Verokian Magic. Uh, so Luna is confronting the mage that kidnapped Minigan, Karula, now that she has dealt with his uh, twin apprentices. And uh, she's like, hey, I, I got to get Minigan back because he's supposed to go on adventures with us and he doesn't belong in a cage. And she dashes forward. Karula utters some sort of runic language, which means don't move. And she suddenly just stops in midair and she can't move her body. Uh, Karula goes and grabs the cage that Minigan's in it. The twins remark that Karula is the strongest magician in the guild. And uh, he says to Luna... Against the likes of you, I do not need to draw my wand. Hmm. Huh. Uh, he gives one of the twins a uh, minigun and, and demands that they seal it in a dark room so that no human ever lays eyes on it and it never sees the light of day again. Harsh. Uh, Luna remembers some of the time that she had with minigun, in particular their conversation about how he's never had friends because he was so busy training. Uh, and how happy he was to be with them, and she starts to move with the power of friendship mm-hmm. and force of will. Uh, and she breaks free of the paralysis that she seems to be under and launches straight into an axe kick on Karula, but it is blocked by some sort of band of magic. He utters the word crush, and it smashes her into the wall. Luna's fine but so he's just like all right i'll just keep on saying it and just says crush over and over and over again and impacts her into the wall repeatedly 
He says it probably upwards of like four dozen times or something like yeah, that. It's, it's a lot. The twins start to get worried that Luna is going to freaking die because, you know, she's a nice person in their eyes. Uh, and they ask for him to stop, but he says, what for? This is the most fun I've had since. Uh, and in that moment, Luna decides to get serious and she starts to unleash more magic, which Ginka specifically told her not to use unless he met someone who gives off the same scent as you. Uh, and she is has torn off one of her gloves with her teeth and it is literally oozing with magic power. Uh, Karuha recognizes that the magic is not Verokian. It is more primal, pure, dark magic. Uh, and he asks her if she aspires to a greater power. And she's like, no, I just want to take you down. So he draws his wand. He's going to get serious as well now. Uh, and Luna says, hey, if you're so obsessed with power, why do you want to get so powerful? And he says, what an ignorant question. The answer lies in emotions far older than words. There is no reason. There doesn't have to be one. And if you can't comprehend that much, you have no chance of beating me. And Luna says, now nah, there's always a chance. Because there's nothing magic can't do. Which is nice. Yes. Uh, and uh, they start to clash. There is weird visuals. Uh, <laughs> that's about all I can say. There are eyes on everything and spikes on everything. That's, that's all I can say. Uh, very dense magical power. But then they get interrupted because Ginka, the main Ginka, flies overhead and proclaims mild intoxication. And it casts the two of them into um, a fancy restaurant and they've both got champagne glasses. And then the illusion dissipates and Ginka has kind of mostly melted on the ground because he used up too much magical ability. So Karuha recognizes what has just happened because he recognized the spell, and he gets very teary-eyed and sniffly, and he says, Ginka, it's been so long! Uh, and yeah, uh, Ginka recognizes Karula, uh, who tries to get up to him, and he says, now we get to kill each other again! And Ginka just palmed to the face to keep him from getting too close. That's where the chapter ends. It's very wildly paced chapter. I was gonna say it's a real whiplash there at the end, but it's it's fun. It's a fun chapter. I wasn't bored. All right, uh, I have a puzzle for you, Quinn. For me, I accept you. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Park Slope Pilferer perplexingly persists in holding professional post. I'm just going to say Braun Strowman because I was trying to think of who's a wrestler in the news recently and he's definitely the number one. Uh, uh, that fucking idiot. Uh, no. I'm sorry, say it again one more time. Park Slope Pilferer perplexingly persists in holding professional post. Is it Kane? Ooh, interesting. No. Okay, I'm trying to think of like who else has like an actual position. I mean, there's Jesse, the body Ventura, but this is just in regards to a job. Okay. It's, uh... uh, park city pilfer 
Park Slope. A par park Slope. I might need to look what Park Slope is. Even if you look up this, I'm not sure if you'll get it. Is Eddie Kingston? No. Okay, I think I might be stuck on this one. Okay, it, the answer is JTG. <laughs> oh man, no, I was not getting JTG, <laughs> my guy. That's <laughs> as you probably looked up. Park Slope is in Brooklyn, uh, where JTG is from. Pilfer because he was in Crime Time yeah. and they would steal stuff. And the rest of the clue is just people's confusion that he held a job for so long, considering he was like never on TV for like the last four years of his contract. It was a website that was like, when was the last time JTG wrestled? And it, it got to like 500 or some odd days or something like that. And I remember when he got released, he just tweeted like, y'all motherfuckers ratted me out or something to that extent. <laughs> yeah, why did I have to check my phone today? I think was what yeah. <laughs> Uh So, yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, Nick, I have a game I would like you to play. I have a wrestler in mind. I want to see if you <laughs> can guess it. Now, I mentioned before about stakes. I'm just going to throw this out there. We've got about maybe like five or six episodes, maybe eight, depending on if we do like a Christmas episode uh, of episodes left this year. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking if you have a winning record at the end of this. Oh, boy. One thing happens. I don't. I haven't decided what the winning thing there is. Okay. But if you have a losing record, the audience gets to pick one of our recommendations. Okay. Gathered sure. together. Pure, pure, pure audience. Uh, audience vote. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That's something I'm thinking. I don't know what we'll to feel like. Cause I don't know what happens if you win. There's got to be. And I'm sure they won't punish us. No, there'd be no way it could be bad to just let the audience have an unrestricted <laughs> pick of what we have to review. That's not pornography or something weird. Uh, <laughs> there's that's the little asterisk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't be something weird like that. All uh, right, all right, fans. We're going to be reviewing Bodie McBoatface, the manga. <laughs> oh, I'd be so excited. All right, next. I have a wrestler in mind. Yeah. Are you ready? One minute, yes. starting now. Are they currently a wrestler? Yes. Are, okay, are they in AEW? Yes. Okay. Uh, have they been in WWE? Not really, no. Not really. Okay. Uh are they oh fuck i don't know any aw questions have they been a tnt champion no okay have they held a, a title in aw uh yeah they've held a championship uh have they has it been a tag team championship uh yes okay so, uh okay uh it, was it the trios championship no okay uh is, was it a member of scu no okay um, have they held? It was a tag team championship to only. Is it a member of FTR? No. Is it a member of? Oh fuck! Okay, okay, go ahead. Is it a member of the Elite? No. Okay. Uh, All right. That is. Oh, is it, you have your last sick. guest here. Your last guest. Is it Luchasaurus? I cannot believe you got it. On the final guest shot in the dark, it is Luchasaurus. I just, I just thought about you. It was like, <laughs> of all the ones I haven't narrowed it down to, which one would Quinn pick? <laughs> I should have. I shouldn't have been so obvious. I should have said Jungle Boy. I should have thought somebody else. Uh, but I was like, you, you, you scared me because you guessed in the AEW right off the bat. I was like, shit. I thought we'd waste a little bit more time going through I, WWE I don't wrestling. Know why, uh, 
Well, I would have asked if they had been in WWE if you had said no. I would have gone over there immediately. Yeah. <laughs> when you said that, I was like, shit, like, Luchasaurus really hasn't been. He was technically in developmental for them, and he may have shown up on NXT to some degree. I don't think he was there when it was NXT, though. I think it was when it's FCW. Uh, but he was part of the initial NXT roster. Yeah. Uh, but I have no idea if he was ever even on television. So uh, I was like, but yeah, I completely forgot about that aspect of it when you when, by the time I got to, down to him. So. There All you right. go. Well, that, Nick's one on the board. So stay tuned, guys. Nick might steal this. We have to figure out what happens if Nick wins. Yeah, Maybe um, all of the audience have to shave their eyebrows. <laughs> Every member of the audience. It's crazy. Yeah, send in your pics of your shaved eyebrows. <laughs> all right. PPPPPP. Chapter 56. Nonetheless. A uh, very weird picture of Lucky with, uh, or is that Fanta? I can't even tell. It's Fanta because he's got Fanta, the uh, yeah. pure, he's got the he's got the jewelry. His hair looks like Lucky's. Sorry. So uh, Lucky has just gotten word that their mom is sick. He wants to go to the hospital with Fanta, and Fanta's like, "No, I'm going <laughs> to do my performance because I hate our mom." Uh, and Lucky starts complaining about how this isn't fair, and Fanta says, "That's true. I guess I'm just." Lucky. <laughs> Such a villain. <laughs> but yeah, he says, yeah, sorry that, you know, I invited you to this event. When I think about it, you were cast aside by dad and I've got no right to say anything about the scandal. Even if the Otogami brand's value diminishes, I can raise it again without involving you. All right. The sincerity apology dropped off very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> uh lucky says like i just want you and mom to be happy and if you see her then things could change and fanta says not going because i don't need things to change and i can't trust her so i'm not gonna believe in her uh and he even looks to mimin and says like it's serious right she says yeah so you should take him um mimin takes lucky's hand and says all right yeah let's not force fanta to come with us rachel's called a car for us and Lucky is still like calling after Fanta as they're as they're leaving, saying, "But I want us all to play piano for Mom again." And Fanta says, "Like it's it's like the guards are pulling the the protagonist away while he's like, oh, sorry for your last ten years, but that's impossible.'" <laughs> it's it, it it's definitely a more melancholic moment, but it definitely does feel like they're being dragged away. I know they are technically by like the seriousness of the situation, but yeah, it does feel like he's the evil king, and they're like being dragged away by the the arm soldiers. Also, I'm pretty sure Mimin could just like fully pick Lucky up over her head and carry him out of there if she wanted to. <laughs> but um, Fanta thinks back to, you know, being a kid, having, you know, nice mother son relationship with their mom, holding hands and hugging and stuff. Uh, and he says, yeah, those were wonderful days. And they ended when I wasn't chosen and I couldn't believe in anything. Nonetheless, I thought about it. She loved me, but she didn't choose me. She says she treasured me, but I don't believe her. No one has just one feeling, and I'm sure she actually really loved me, so I'll continue to believe your words from back then. But I won't believe in you. You chose not to choose me out of all the feelings you had, Mom, and I'll never believe you again. I can never trust you. I hate you. And Ouch. we see this, uh, we see a flashback 
of him like first putting in, you know, his jewelry and piercings and stuff. And after his mom has left and then looking in the mirror and saying, I'm looking cool today too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's the jewelry of, of, of repressed feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and he says, like, yeah, I took pride in the feeling of being loved and not being chosen was humiliating. So instead, I chose to love myself and I worked hard and the audience's applause told me that I was valuable and I loved that. And I did my best to give the audience what they wanted as gratitude for their applause because I wished they would never stop clapping. It's the same in my personal life. The me I can love, the me the audience wants. I've worked hard to cultivate the cool me. It's cooler if I'm popular with the ladies. It's cooler if I'm good at my job. The more the Ogami brand is valued, the cooler I am. And since I'm famous and I have money, weird people are attracted to me. But (laughs) (laughs) I knew nobody really cared about me, so it didn't matter. Above all, I am always self-aware, so I'm fine. But being on stage is the best. If I look cool, then right now I have value. People will care. And that's why I can never make a mistake. I can never let my value go down because of mistake. I never got nervous in the past because I was loved and I expected to be treasured as a genius. I was effortlessly cool. I had value. And it's all right. Even now, I'm my geniuses valued and well regarded. And as long as I have that, I'm all right. My circumstances aren't at all tragic. I live in a mansion. I have everything I want. I roll. <laughs> a nice body and this genius, which won't desert me. There are other geniuses beside me. There will be someone I can't win against, thinking about his father. But it's all right. My genius is cool, and it's mine alone. And then he pauses in the present and thinks, it's no longer mine alone. Because Sadame has replicated the fucking fucking theme park. So, oh no, the cracks are forming. His incredibly fragile ego is going to be shattered by the end of this. I can see the cracks right now. He just got through all of that very self-exposing. I'm very, very cool. I'm very awesome. I'm the only one like me. Oh shit, that other guy. And it's just... Uh, so he's like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm the one who challenged him. I'll just, I can think about it again later. And being a genius wasn't the one and only thing. So then what the audience wants is, and he turns to Mao, who I believe is the woman who was helping to organize the event. She is like not shown up during the actual event at all to this point. So I could be misremembering that. Uh, and he says, hey, so the audience will switch after this event. So in that case... Um, and, uh, so we cut into the audience from there and they're talking about how like, oh, I kind of feel like, you know, like, like going home. Cause you know, it felt like we experienced the theme park and, you know, we, we went on the train ride home. So the plan that Lucky and, uh, Sadame worked on is seemingly working. And then Fanta appears in the audience next to the people who were talking and says, you want to go home? And they're like, oh, oh, no, 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 fine. And he says, no, 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 it's fine. I'll let you go home feeling really happy. And he starts to descend the steps back down to the stage. 
and that's the end of the chapter. Uh, as we wrap up this very exposing look into into Fanta's psyche. You know, imagine how wild it would be. You're the motherfuckers just sitting in an audience like, oh, man, I feel like kind of heading home. And the performer walks up. He's like, maybe everybody should just go home. You're like, oh, no, this, this is going to go bad. <laughs> uh, all right. We have like a bunch of series still to get through. So I'm going to rush through Mashal magic and muscles. Number 131, the light visionary and the eldest son, Rio grants has shown up and Rio grants is really good. He fires off a bunch of light and hits doom and does a little damage. And he's very charismatic. While he's doing this, uh, doing it all. But it is at zero. It's just like, Nope, doom's too strong. Once he's, uh, been hit with an attack, he'll instantly be able to counter it. I'm the only one with the chance of defeating him. Uh, and Rio Grants is, is really gaining enemies. Like, once I get going, I can't be stopped. Fires another shot, and this is when Doom would block it, like he does. Slight miss, it's all over. But then another one fires, hits Doom right in the face, and he's like, shit. <laughs> Why didn't I block that one? Excuse <coughs> me. The timing, everything's just all different. He's like, I'll stop the next one. Hits him right in the face. And or, matter or, order battle explains... Yeah, Ryu is just like this. The tougher the foe he fights, the worse situation he's in, the more his magic grows. So he just gets stronger. And he's he's really saying that. He's like, I'm only going to get better from here. Uh, but then Doom activates 70%, becomes even more like younger Tagoro than he already was. Uh, but then just gets his shit punched in. Like, it's it looked like he was about to turn all around. But then Ryu blasts him with a whole bunch more. And just ends the chapter by saying, I told you, once I get going, I don't stop. I'm so hot, I'm on fire. Try not to get burned. Yep. It is a so, supremely cool moment and uh, very awesome. Yeah, he's going to get his head punched in next chapter. He <laughs> is, but he might have to go to 80% to do it or 90% or something. Something like that. <laughs> the Elusive Samurai, Chapter 85, Kaisen, 1335. There is like a very small bit of downtime at the very beginning of this chapter. There's like some weird, frankly, interaction between Ayako and Shizuku that I could not entirely follow. Uh, and then uh, fighting starts. Uh, oh, no, an enemy force again. We're just jumping into more of these generals showing up. Uh, lots of stuff happens. And then Horse McHorserton runs into the enemies and, and starts attacking them with this big old Naginata. Uh, he's going, he starts charging into the fray. Everyone surrounds Tokyuki to try and, and help him. We get the quote-unquote scientific explanation of how he gets his horse to be strong, which is if you use your feet to get the horse's heart pumping, it stimulates the muscles and makes the horse stronger. Sure. So, yeah, he's charging in, attacking everyone, slicing a bunch of people up with the Naginata, and uh, then they see that uh, Uisugi is the enemy commander at this point, and uh, he introduces himself, and also uh, the, you know, tactician from the previous fight is also there uh and uh he also sends forth his like pseudo zombie soldiers to attack them and everyone's like oh these guys look weird fubuki charges in to just kind of like gauge them they use a bunch of weird sword techniques where their sword swings change in midair he manages to counter them and he releases and he says oh Oh, I remember this the, this sword technique. I've seen it before. I, I didn't know his name, but he had this tricolor tattoo and kanji on his forehead. And Uisugi is, like, right fucking there, 20 feet away. You know, the way that, like, tacticians are on the front lines of battles. Uh, and uh, he says, oh, can you do an impression of him? Because I don't remember his name. And Fubuki goes, yeah! He was like that. 
it's like the middle of this battle and it was like it's like oh him yeah he escaped from ashikaga academy which seems to strike a chord with fubuki uh he's like yeah yeah my clan took over the failing educational institutions at the imperial court and uh we've been running secret training facilities since my grandfather's time and i had a laboratory and fubuki is quiet and looks mm, perturbed by this information which tokiyuki notices and then Horsey McCorserton uh, charges through the soldiers again, and oh no, he's heading right towards them. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's good. It's, it's surprising we moved so quickly into, like, the next, uh, like, action scene, and I guess they're setting up yeah. for this one to be, like, slightly about Shizuko, which I'm all for. Uh, I think she definitely deserves to have some spotlight shined on her that isn't just she speaks to spirits. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Which, by the way, hasn't like been relevant for a long time either. No, so. not really. Uh, all right, let's talk about Black Clover, page 343, Black Clash. Uh, so Achika has donned her super special mega form, and she's fighting with Asta, and he's like, I can counter stuff. I'll sever any magic or Yoku that's affecting me. And she just kicks him in the face. So <laughs> doesn't, doesn't really work that way. Uh, Asta thinks he, he has her. She's too fast. She does this big attack. Uh, she's like, yeah, if I, you know, he'll never catch me. He's pretty fast, too. They're like, shit, our, you know, in terms of sheer yojutsu and magic, our skills are roughly equal. But the real contest is how well we can use Zetan. And Asta's going in for an attack. She blocks it and basically, like, kicks him right in the face again and taunts him. Like, there's there's no way I can feel in your key your anger. Like, it, it there's no real, you have no resolution, no conviction. Someone like that can't beat me and ask. It's like, I could feel in your key your anger at the captain and me. Like, but there's more to it in your heart. And I, I you know, you don't, like, I know there's more going on in there. And she's like, don't talk with me like you know you, uh, like you know me. And Asta's thinking, like, I've got it. I know the form for my Zetan. If I fire a perfect Zetan, I can win this. The two of them are about to strike. And then Ryuya steps in between them. And it seems pretty clear that Asta did not have it there. He did not actually have a Zetan that he was about to use. Because Asta notes there, he's like, I couldn't cast Zetan back there. I completely lost that one. Uh, so is just like... Hey guys, it looks like they're here, and we go up to three angelic figures floating in the air, and the middle one, Nick, it's Angel's sister! It definitely seems like it is Sister Lily. Yes, like, I, I think that is intentionally, uh, yes. I think we may have seen the other two guys before. I feel like they might be guys who we saw a long time ago, but I'm not sure. I definitely feel like they're designs that are relatively familiar, but I cannot for the life of me place them. Like, I, I truly am like, I feel like one of them might have been like the prisoner guy, mm -hmm, but maybe. I like one of the prisoners. But I, I, yeah, I don't remember truly the other ones, unfortunately. But yeah, I do think they are people we know. I'm a little bit upset that they showed up because I feel like a lot of the stuff that's been happening since Asta arrived here has just been really good without, you know, the main plot coming back. Mm. But I guess we've reached the point where we do need to kind of move things forward and there needs to be, you know, an impetus for Asta to actually start to master Zen and stuff like that. And it would be more dramatically appropriate for him to start to get the hang of it in an actual battle as opposed to in a sparring match. Yes. So. Um... Good stuff. I'm excited to see what Asta's new form is going to be. Yeah. All right. Let's finish off with One Piece Chapter 1065. 
six Vegapunks, which uh, Ooh. looks like we lost Nick there for a second. Yes, we've lost Nick for a moment. Uh, I will carry on. Big old shot. Bravely. You know, oh, I can hear you just fine. I know. Can you hear me? Nope, not uh, now. I can hear you. All right. Okay. I don't know what We're you back. said there. I was just commenting that the, 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 there's the two page spread of the One Piece film red promotion. Yes. Um, which stay tuned, guys. I think we will mm. we will have something uh, to potentially talk about that on. And also, uh, if you go trip to our Patreon, there's something new you can find there as well. So mm. yes, One Piece red. That's made a little bit of money. I've heard. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, in the actual chapter, God, I don't even remember what happens in this fucking chapter. Uh, we basically uh, just meet the new Vegapunks. We we finally get introduced to all the other ones. Uh, there's a well, and then there's some big stuff happening at the end. I should say, yeah, that's who. Brooke, Brooke, and Zolo are still talking at like the entrance to Labafe's, Um, and Caribou's there, and I, they're not surprised to see him. Did they establish they knew he was there? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but he is there and talking to them, and Zoro's like, yeah. Uh, you helped our captain in Wano, so go away now. <laughs> uh, inside the lab, Usopp and Nami are looking at like all these technological marvels and stuff. Uh, Vegapunk 2 says the island's power source is fire, which can be converted into all types of energy, to which I say I think that that's actually not the most, like, the best energy source to get from, but whatever. Um... And uh, they say that, like, there is, if only there was such a thing as an undying flame, we could create our own sun. And then she walks into um, a door that doesn't actually open up. She just walks through it. And the others are like, wait, how do we get through this? And then, like, no, you just walk through it, guys. Just just walk through it. You know, it's a door. You could just walk straight through, you know, the way that doors should be. <laughs> uh she gets in contacted by Edison, one of the other Vegapunks. And uh, when they go into a new room, there is a Seraphim that looks basically just like a young Jimbei, but also combined with a uh, king with, you know, the dark skin, the, the, the fire. The Lunarians, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're like, what the hell? Uh that he looks like Jimbei, but he's also looks like a kid, even though he's as big as Jimbei. And then he starts to fire a laser, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's a pacifista! We've been set up. The government's attacking us." Uh, so they engage with the Jimbei clone, uh, who you know uses this like swimming under through the, through land like water ability, grabs onto Very Nami by the neck. Specifically, Frankie points out, "I know that power because that was yes. Senor Pink's power." Yes. Uh, Sanji, of course, gets pissed off because uh, he laid his hands on Nami and uh, just full on flaming kicks him away. Uh, everyone starts to pour on attacks. Robin tries to go after him with her giant and hands and stuff, but he just kind of swims through them the same way. So no effect. Usopp attacks with a with a with a skull blast grass thing. Uh, and then Frankie fires, gets set to fire his radical beam which we don't see, sad. Uh, 
because we have to go and meet more of the Vega Punks. There is a little one, a little robot-looking guy called Edison uh, that um, um, he says some stuff that I don't really understand because he's like, he just saw a laser. That was a close one. They're not ready for laser tests yet. So I guess it missed. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't I, get to see it happen. Yeah, he's just saying, like, he shot a laser. That's crazy. The Seraphim are still being tested. They're not ready for laser tests yet. So, yeah, he must have dodged or just survived. Uh, Lilith Vegapunk 2 is pissed off because they, you know, were attacking a Seraphim, which is very valuable to them. Uh, and then Edison goes, I just thought of a new invention. Uh, you know, just like the real Edison would do. It's probably worthless. Uh, and then there's another robot that's kind of big and chunky called Pythagoras the Thinker. And it's like, oh, a battle data. An excellent name. An excellent, excellent name. Like, I know all of them are generally named after, like, science figures. But yes. Pythagoras is a fantastic name. Definitely a lot better than every other name among yeah. them. So, uh and then we're introduced to another uh, Vegapunk who is um, a woman who um, eats stuff. York is the best. Well, it's not just she eats. She also shits for them as well. Yes. Because they note like, hey, we and sleeps for them as well. Yes. And we see her full design. And she also is in that situation where it's like no bottoms. And I was like, you know, if my sole work in life was to eat shit and sleep, I also would not wear pants. So suddenly the aesthetics of this universe are making a slight bit more sense. Uh, so, yeah, she handles all of the other, you know, the boring things so that everyone else can just like, you know. Do science all the yeah. time, basically. Uh and uh, then um, we're introduced to Shaka the Good, Vegapunk 1. Daft Punk. Uh, yep, he, he's very Daft Punk, yes. I mean, it's always kind of been there with the name Vegapunk, but this was the moment where you're like, okay, yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is the, death, the Daft Punk character. Uh, he introduces himself to the Straw Hats who are here, uh, and... They he has also frozen them all to the floor because they're wearing the shoes that they put on and didn't think anything of it, I guess. Uh, and he's like, look, I can't trust any pirates. Uh, and they're also like, well, wait, we just met a woman Vegapunk and heard an announcer Vegapunk. And he says, yes, I am also Vegapunk. And Usopp says, am I Vegapunk? <laughs> Which is a great joke. It's a great joke. Uh, and uh Shaka says, does this island look like the future to you? And Frankie says, well, I mean, between all the Mecha Sea Beasts outside and the Vega Force One and the air systems, this place is like the super future. So he's very excited. And uh, Nami says, yeah, and I've never seen a town that looks anything like this. And they're like, yeah, I want to see everything. It's crazy. And Shaka says, this place is the past! Uh... And then we cut away to Luffy's group and Luffy has just broken open something and he's like, hey, check it out, Chopper. This thing's real solid metal. And everyone is gazing upon it like, oh, my God, did this thing used to move? And Jinbei says, this looks like future tech, but it looks too old for that. And Frankie back over with his Nami and Usopp's group says, what do you mean the past? And Shaka says, if I told you that Egghead wasn't the only one, 
that there was once a kingdom as highly advanced as this that actually existed 900 years ago. Would you believe me? And Jimbe and Luffy and Bonnie and Chopper have come across um, a robot graveyard, seemingly uh, overgrown with moss and all sorts of stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, this, okay. is, this is a huge, a huge, huge moment uh, where we're slowly starting to now fill in the, the void century and everything regarding that big chapter there. We get introduced to the rest of the members of the Vega Punk Six or whatever they're calling themselves. Uh, one of them's a bolt, one of them's a buzzer, and one of them's a rabbit. Yeah. Uh, I love these designs. Like one, I love Pythagoras on like I don't know a very like instinctual level. Like when I saw Pythagoras, I was like, "You, I relate to you a lot." I don't know why, but I do. Also, I feel like I've seen this character design before, and I don't mean Robocon for anybody who's thinking that like i know the robots are all designed after very famous robots that's uh, not what i'm referring to uh I, I, like i just feel like this design in one piece i've seen before and i i can't place where exactly uh i also really like york because she just has a different face than most one piece women do like it just it's given like a comedic edge so i'm like i feel like i could pick you out of a crowd even though your body looks the same as the rest of them She's like your face is different and i'm very she's excited got them, for that she's got them chubby cheeks and the freckles yeah and like the frog face and everything like that yeah oh, okay uh, the dragon ball maybe that's it that i'm thinking of um but yeah I, I i think this is like a cool chapter we're getting lore we're digging into this like we're finding out stuff and there's a lot of just funny jokes as well in this chapter like as you mentioned before am i vega punk and then also like <laughs> Usopp makes some joke at Nami's expense, and in the background, she just kicks him. She says, future kick! And I'm like, I don't know why, but that's very funny to me. Well, they're in the future. Of course it's a future hit, yeah. kick. Uh, yeah. I, funnily enough, the only diatribe that I heard about, uh, or I guess dialogue, rather, about this chapter that I heard online was the appearance of the Jinbei Seraphim and the fact that Sanji kicked it. And people were like, no, oh, Sanji kicked a, 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 a Sun Kingdom powered guy way stronger than the one that Zoro beat. And I'm like, why are people still talking about this Zoro Sanji rivalry? Like, the point of their rivalry is that it's childish and stupid to argue about. <laughs> the funnier part is the Nami part where she's like, do you think just because you're a child, like, just because you're a child, does mean I will go easier on you. <laughs> like, like yeah. oh, Nami really just can't have it in her to do that. Too big a heart. She can't. She can't. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, there's a lot. Of, yeah, there are a lot of funny moments in this. Um, but I think that during the montage of people being introduced for the Vegapunk Collective, my brain just kind of like just it's a lot to, to of information. Encode, yeah, refuse to encode it into long term memory, which is why. I don't remember One Piece characters. This <laughs> is like, oh, more characters. Oh than man! I when we do the next, when we do the next contest, I'm just gonna like sneak in two Vegapunks and just be like, Nick, which one's this? Why do they have numbers on them? This is stupid. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, uh, let's do MVPs and character of the week. Out. I already did my, my my series of the week is is under the luck. It made me cry. I really want to give my character to Pythagoras just because I fucking love that <laughs> name so much, and I don't know why, but I like that design. I won't, although both him and uh, York are both, I think, really two cool characters that were introduced that I'd like to see more of. 
I think I'm going to give it to Rio Grande. So we didn't get a lot of time to talk about Mashal, but I think it was really cool and satisfying that Ryu got to kind of have a chapter where they actually just schooled Doom, who's otherwise just been no-selling everything. So it, it, you know, it's that rub you get when you get to eliminate Brock Lesnar from Aurora Rumble. I mean, he eventually kicks your yeah. ass afterwards, but you did it, guy. Good for you. Yeah. Who all has eliminated Brock Lesnar? Didn't Lashley? Not a lot of people. I was going to say, didn't Lashley do it or something like that? I remember like some big beefcake doing it or something like that. I mean, well, 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 Drew Drew eliminated him from the Rumble and then went to WrestleMania and also beat him for the title. So he never. (laughs) But anyway, uh, enough enough wrestling. We got to wrap up Uh, my chapter of the week. I am going to go with the Kane Banashi. I really like this chapter just the way everything is is explained and then drawn you know there's this sense initially of like oh there's this kind of like disappointing quality of Akane's but then it's like oh but now it's like a big adventure she's setting off on to grow and be a be a more complete performer and that's fun uh and my character of the week I'm going to give to Fanta uh, the for the very exposing uh, internal monologue where he keeps on telling himself that he's going to be okay uh, because he's got all these talents and he can just force people to love him. Uh, it's very sad. <laughs> so <laughs> that's it for me. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, head on out. Yeah. Did uh, did you say who, who the audience? Uh... Oh yes. Yeah, sorry. The audience, by the way, picked Fanta as the MVP, and it looks like there is a tie between Blue Box and One Piece for the chapter of the week. Sorry. Thank you for reminding also, me. Also good picks. Guys, that's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you all for joining us here on twitch.tv slash T. We record the show Wednesday evenings, usually starting around 730 Eastern time. I hope that this wasn't confusing for anyone who, you know, didn't do the daylight savings time stuff this week. Uh, we want to thank you all for uh, listening to the show, which you can do on twitch.tv slash T on uh, youtube.com slash weekly manga recap which you can watch the video versions which will occasionally have title cards including for this episode made by steve mann who's our work you can check on twitter.com slash steve man art also the youtube version has the opening sequence made by milo jack slitz and winsadale cheddar if you want to check out more weekly manga recap our episodes are all available on weekly manga recap.podbean.com in audio form as well as on itunes spotify and other podcast sherry kind of apps and you can also check out patreon.com slash weekly manga recap as quinn was explaining earlier there's bonus content that has been put up recently and more ahead uh if you want to keep up with all the goings on you can follow us on social media nick f time is me uh rollo t is quinn and wmr podcast is the just general podcast account which puts out the announcement when the show begins and you can also get that if you join the weekly manga recap discord server which is a great community discusses chapters as they come out and all sorts of fun stuff uh, including a link to the Google Doc maintained by Ninja X3i, who keeps track of things that we would forget about otherwise, including recommendations. <laughs> oh, it's almost like I planned that. I never do. <gasps> so our next recommendation we're going to be working on is a series called Crossing Time. This is a collection oh yeah, of... I know this. Semisonic did it. Crossing Time. Time to head at all the places you will be from. <laughs> Just lost the tune immediately. Crossing time. 
Something, 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 whiskey or beer. I'm not going to explain what the mock is about now. I think that that's <laughs> going to be a much better pitch for it than anything I could say. And now I won't forget what manga we're taking as recommendation because crossing <laughs> time. We've got to close the episode. It sounds now, like it's about leaving college, but I think it's just about giving birth. Okay, goodbye. <laughs>